Did I tell you that I figured out what the heck that was? Uh, uh, I, I don't think so, no. So the backstory on this is that Dan and I were in the Steve Jobs Theater together, sort of towards the back, maybe like five or six rows from the back. And, and during the event, especially the first half, there was a lot of noise from seemingly like... like uh, I couldn't quite make it out, but I thought it was like Asian language sort of like speakerphone noise. Um, and For I a second, I thought someone was on the phone. And I thought so, too. Super rude. I completely thought it was somebody who was on the phone, like, with, you know, like, like, like Chinese media. And they were on the phone with somebody at their office back in yeah. in China, like, to let them listen to the keynote live. And I'm like, dude, they're streaming it. <laughs> like, you don't have to. You don't have to let them listen in on speakerphone, you know, and why are they talking? Um and it was a bit distracting, and it was also kind of baffling because I would like turn around to see who it was to maybe shoot them a dirty look, and and it it was like it seemed to like be moving around the theater. Like at first I thought it was over my shoulder to the left, then it seemed to be coming from over my shoulder to the right. Anyway, long story short, what it is, what it was, is that Apple provides um, non. I don't know how many languages they support, but if if English is not your first language, they they give media like a little earpiece, and they can get a live translation from somebody who you know at Apple hires to to translate it on the fly, and which is cool. But what happened was they had them turned up way too loud, and I guess there's no volume on on the the actual thing that goes in your ear. It's like Apple was controlling it, and it was way too loud, and so huh. what. And so what people were doing because it was so loud in their ear is they took it out of their ear and were just sort of holding it. And it was so loud, like it was supposed to be like an earpiece, you know, so you wouldn't distract people, but it was so loud that that's what we were, everybody could hear. It was like, that's how loud it was. And they oh, funny. And the reason it went away about half an hour and is Apple figured out what was going on and turned the volume down and everybody stuck them back in their ears. I I had an amazing meeting once in Tokyo with the, I wanted to do a story on the evolution of the Japanese vending machine, and I met with the guy at Coca-Cola Japan who runs all their vending machine operations, which is a fascinating story, and I'm not going to get into the details now. But um, they, in this meeting, and also I think in a few other meetings I've had in Tokyo, someone is an interpreter who sits in the room, and you have a, an earpiece where you can hear her speaking, translating into English in real time while you're sitting there. In the meeting, it was, hmm. fa- it was fascinating. It's very so, cool. Sort of like being at the UN or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so. it was. I got to say, it was. It was. Uh, you know, it had been a year since we'd been in the Steve Jobs Theater, and um, it's still a really impressive place. Like, yeah. I, I think you probably talked with uh, Eli about this yeah. last show, but the se- I, I just I, the sound blew me away. I wasn't. I f- I forgot. That they did not, that they went completely all out with the sound system and the projector and everything like that's it was when they were playing that intro sequence the Mission Impossible thing like the room was shaking it was so yeah. the bass it's, was so strong not a, not in an obnoxious way either like in a really really compelling way no it's the best sound I've ever heard in a theater it, it yeah. there's literally no echo it is super crisp. Uh, Which, that's all right. We, we, we love dogs on the talk show. Uh, Joanna's dog is always, <laughs> always a problem. What's your dog's name? 
Uh, Ralphie. I'll oh, try, that's I'll, a good name. I'll try to mute when he's. That's all right. He, he's guarding the door. So ah, that's his job. Yeah, like that it. is his job. <laughs> no, that's totally allowed on this show. Um, no, it is fantastic sound. And I, I, I talked to some Apple people, and I think that they use it a little bit more internally than I was initially led to believe. Like I heard from – I wrote about how – you know, what a remarkable place it is combined with the fact that at least publicly they only use it like once a year. They do use it internally a couple times a month. They have you know team meetings and stuff there. I mean it's it doesn't just sit – unused all year long. I mean, they, they do make some good use of it. And I heard from a couple people that they had a, um, they had a, a screening of, um, the, the Incredibles too. Um, and nice. you know, employees were allowed to bring their kids and everything like that. I haven't seen it yet. I love the Incredibles. It's absolute. I, I go to the theater so little now it's, it's criminal. I really, uh, it's a, it was sort of like a New Year's resolution for this year that I missed, but I, I want to start going to the movies more often again because I love going to the movies and I don't know why I don't go. But I haven't seen The Incredibles two yet. But there's apparently a scene where the little baby Jack Jack is like up in a corner, like like hiding. I don't know. I don't know what this. This is not really a spoiler, but he's up by the ceiling, hiding in a corner, like back right. And he makes a noise and the theater, it made it sound like he was in the back corner of the theater. Like my one friend at Apple was like, you know, me and my two kids, we all just turned around and looked up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. Ah, the promise of surround sound. Yeah. So what's coming up? I guess we, before we get into the news, we can, while we're talking about the Steve Jobs theater, we can, we can speculate on what's coming up for Apple because everybody is expecting them. <laughs> To, to announce new iPad Pros and probably new MacBooks that are not Pro uh, at an event, which I'm guessing. I honestly have no inside information about this. We're recording this on October 15th. Nobody has told me a damn thing. Um, but I'm guessing it's going to be Tuesday, October 30th. But the question mm. for me is where? Are they going to do it in the Steve Jobs Theater? Or are they going to do it like, you know, like they had that... Um, Remember, were you there at the Chicago thing? I was, yeah. Yeah. At Lane Tech, where I took the SATs. That's exactly right. I, I forgot yeah. about that. Right. You t- <laughs> <laughs> what a small world. Yeah. <laughs> the place where you took the SATs was at the... I, so I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do, but I feel like Tuesday, October 30th is the right day because it's obviously not going to be this week. <laughs> I mean, invitations haven't gone out yet. And I... In theory, you know, they could send out invitations now for something next week, but I don't think they'll do next week. And I don't think they ever would because next week is like this Friday is when the iPhone XR goes on sale or pre pre order. And then next Friday is when it ships. And I don't think they would hold an event in between there because uh, I would guess that like reviews of the XR will be coming out at some point in between then and there and they're not going to have they don't want to have reviews of a new i major new iphone coming out at the same time that they're announcing new things like doesn't really make any sense from apple's perspective yeah i I, the minute you or i forgot where i read that that thinking first but that that made sense i mean there was a world in which you know and maybe this would have happened four years ago they would have uh put out the invitations the day of the google pixel event Mm -hmm. but They did used to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, my guess is that you're right. The discipline of not uh, not messing up with the uh, the signal of the new iPhone. You know, no noise about iPads or anything else. Just keep one story at a time. That makes that makes sense. 
Yeah. So if I had to bet, I would bet that they'll have it at the Steve Jobs Theater again. And you hmm. know, I, I, but that's it's simply. Uh, I don't know why I think that. I just I, I really don't think that they would ever held an event at the old town hall on the old campus again. I, I, no, like why? I mean, it would seem yeah, like, that doesn't make sense. Even if it's not supposed to be as big a a big a deal as you know, new iPhones. Uh, I think new iPads are pretty big. You know. And, oh man, I'm pumped. I'm I need one. So <laughs> I hope it happens sooner than later. Um, yeah, that's that's a good question. Like, is it more work for the events team to do it on campus or it's it's probably a lot less work than yeah. having to do it somewhere else. Even yeah, I, in, even if it were in San Francisco or Cupertino, you know, even if it were in Silicon Valley, like it's probably a lot easier for them. I think it's a lot less work, a lot because it's less travel, obviously for everybody because it's, they're just doing their normal daily commute. And I think for the whatever you want to call the team that does the setup, they don't have anything to set up. I mean, not that they don't. I mean, they they put up some decorations and stuff like that in the theater, but it's nothing like the pop up theaters that they've been making in recent years at places like the bill graham civic auditorium and um and I mean, other even, places. even lane tech high school like that was by far the cleanest day in the history of that school <laughs> and, and forever <laughs> forever after like it will never be the, as clean as it was the day that apple had their right. event there right uh yeah I, I guess there's the argument that like oh keep keep the steve jobs theater for only the most important special events the iphone event but I don't. That doesn't really. No, I don't think don't that think mean, so. means anything. Yeah, I think it made sense maybe for the first event to be there to be for last year's iPhone. You know, the biggest event of the year is the iPhone announcement. Uh, I think it sort of made sense to christen the theater with that event. But now it just it, to me makes sense that you'd use it whenever you have something to announce. And the reason they only used it once last year is it was a year where they just didn't have anything else to announce i mean one of the reasons that people are so excited about new ipad pros is that the ipad pros are current ones are really two generations old they sort of skipped the whole a11 um cpu cycle so i think people are really excited people who love the ipad are really excited about it because it's the you know i hate to use the word overdue but they're maybe a little overdue no i think i think that's super fair i mean you know if you look at especially you know, not even just in a vacuum, but if you look at competition, like it's getting better. And, yeah. um, you know, that's not to say that they have to respond to any sort of increased cadence pressure, but they, there needs to be a new iPad pro like now. So, uh, and it seems like, it, especially if the idea is that it won't have a home button, um, and there's probably more to, more to the story that that's not just going to be a press release update like that. I think that commands an event. So, yeah. Remember the uh, when they did the Apple Watch and I think what was it? Uh, I forget what year when they announced. It was a 2015 when they originally announced the Apple Watch. Maybe it was 2014. But the and they had that event on the college campus in Cupertino. What's the name of that college? Uh, yes, I don't know. But remember but yeah. they, they built like a gigantic, like a, a literal building out front for the yes. hands-on area. Like they, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they built the equivalent of it of an Apple store. All temporary, <laughs> just to have an open air, uh, hands on area after the event. It was crazy. I mean, even the stuff they do in that convention center where they have WWDC is pretty is pretty intense. Like the, I think last summer they had a big demo area, and I don't remember. Now I'm making 
No, I'm making things up. But yeah, the, the construction they will do inside of someone else's space, like, is is pretty is pretty intense. So, to to go back to earlier, yeah, I, I think the if it if there's going to be something and they don't have a good reason for it to be somewhere else, you know, in the past they've had like events at like what the the maybe I'm blending with Amazon too, but like they'll have something at a library somewhere yeah. or something like that or. Um, you know, the education event this spring was at a public high school. Yeah. But th- there doesn't seem to be a place like that where they would have an iPad event. So. No. And they used to have – remember they used to have events at the uh, – what's that place in San Francisco? Yerba Buena. Yerba Buena. Yeah. And, and it was just too small. You know, it really wasn't that much bigger than Town Hall. I guess it was a little bit bigger, but it it it, it always felt a little cramped. and um, And the hands-on area was always super cramped in there too. I remember the one time just talking about how over the top they go at, at Yerba Buena. It might have been the last year that Katie Cotton was still there. And they they knocked out a wall. Like it, like the, the room where the hands-on thing was at Yerba Buena, they always painted or, or I don't know if they used paint, but draped with black. So it was sort of a very dark room with spotlights shining on the tables. Um and they just took out a whole wall of the building so that it would be like airy and sunshiny <laughs> and then just paid, <laughs> paid to reconstruct it. Like it wasn't like a removable wall. They literally like figured out they wanted it. They wanted open air. They they did the work in advance to figure out like, yeah, we you know, there's no supporting beams in there. We could just knock this out and then we'll just rebuild it the next day. <laughs> like that's crazy. It's absolutely insane what they spend on these events. Yeah, it's amazing though, uh, and it and it shows the atten- it's you know it's just attention to detail yeah. and and no, really why spare any ex- you know I, I mean sure spare some expense but not you know what's what's a couple what's ten thousand dollars here or there yeah. when that's like selling a hundred iPhones yeah. You know? um, speaking of iPad Pro, did you see the hundred? T- no, sorry, that's like selling ten iPhones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like selling eight of the $1,500 ones. Yeah. Um, did you see that uh, Adobe, uh, I mean, it's sort of a poorly kept secret, but that today at their Adobe Max conference, they pre-announced uh, Photoshop for iPad. Right, which made me wonder, is this something that they announced last time there was a major iOS event, or is this something that they will announce at the next major <laughs> iOS event? I would, I would eat my, I'll eat my hat if they don't have Adobe on stage at this next event. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I was actually watching some of the Adobe Max conference today live. They had a great live stream. Um, and Phil Schiller was on stage for a while. They really? called, yeah. Which is, I, I can't remember the last time wow. somebody, somebody uh, or Phil, I can't remember the last time Phil Schiller was at somebody else's conference. Uh, I think it just goes to show how serious Apple is about wanting stuff like Photoshop for iPad. And it's funny because The Verge had a really great hands-on preview. They got, you know, they got to play with it. It's not coming out till quote unquote 2019. So who knows if that means early 2019 or later 2019. I suspect that it might be a little later. I I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't hold my breath for Photoshop for iPad in January. Um, Because there's definitely some it's not just that it's beta. It there's there's some features that just aren't there yet. <laughs> like there's things you could like you can tap on it, but it doesn't do anything. Um, but the Verge had a great hands-on, and they let their uh, 
like their production staffers, you'd use it and play with it for a while. And they had a great video today. I'll put it in the show notes um, with their first thoughts on it. But it, it, the thing that keeps coming up is both from Adobe and the people who are trying this pre-release version that it's quote unquote, the real Photoshop. It's not just a, an image editing app that they've put the Photoshop brand name on. It, it really is Photoshop that we know and love from the desktop uh, running on an iPad, which is kind of crazy. Which makes you wonder why. Why they're doing it? Yeah. I, I, that's a good question, and I, I wonder about that. I, I, I think it is a bet on you know that this really is the future, and I think it is a really good form factor for a lot of the stuff people do in Photoshop. Um, True, the, especially re, you know, a retouching yeah. or... Well, the one guy for the drawing. Verge, the one guy for the Verge made a great point, just a fantastic point, where he was like, uh, like uh, taking he had like an image of a sword, and he just wanted to to get the background out, just to cut out, cut out the sword. And he said, "This is you know one of the things you can do here. You just don't think about it. Is in, you just rotate the iPad, you know, like as he goes around. You know, it's like the way when you're drawing on a piece of paper, you can just turn it upside down to do another mm. part. He's just turning it around upside down, turning it left, turning it right." Um, and it all, you know, that's something you can never do with a MacBook. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. So I don't know. I, I and I think you know a lot of the stuff with the pencil is um, is obviously uniquely, you know, at least on the Apple platform is unique to the to the iPad platform. Uh, and it looks to me, I mean, from watching the Adobe Max thing, that they're doing it at, at a really really high refresh rate. Like they had a guy doing a demo with. Um, simulating oil paint and it, it just the way that he was like swirling two colors together it it, it was really just stunning that it wasn't it, it just looked like a photograph of you know like like high def photograph of like a bob ross type guy using actual oil paint but that's really where the secret you know i mean like it's no good if the latent if there's latency there between the pencil and the thing but I, it looks to me like they're doing it right so i, I would guess that's the reason why i, I you know yeah. I also, I guess in the era where you're, if you're a, a creative professional, you're probably paying for a subscription to Adobe now. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yep. You know, the, the idea that you're not buying a, a $20 iPad version of the app, you're subscribing to whatever the, the yearly or monthly subscription is. So at yeah. that point, they should get you using it on every device you have and not just your one Mac or something like that. Right. We could do a whole cool. di- We could do a whole digression on software as a service and subscription yeah. versus buying. And I know that there are people out there. I, I know because I get email from them all the time. I know that there are people listening to us who hate it, who just, who really, really, really feel strongly that they want to give Adobe, you know, $299 or whatever. And then they get to use Adobe Photoshop version X.0 for as long as it runs on their computer and then choose whether or not to upgrade when X plus 1.0 comes out, you know. Um, and, I, you know, there's all sorts of pros and cons to subscription. But a, a certain a absolute pro is if you're already in, you're already paying, you know, the monthly fee for the, the CC, the Creative Cloud. And then all of a sudden next year at some point you just get Photoshop for iPad. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, totally. pretty, that's pretty sweet. Yep. Yeah, now I'm gonna wa- now I gotta watch this video. It looks yeah. cool. Yeah, it's, it really is cool, and it's. Uh, I know at least one person is working on the team, and uh, it, it, you know, it, it it's the real deal. I mean, it's top top flight talent at Adobe, and and it's the real. It is the real Photoshop. They're not just saying it. 
So that's very cool. Here, why don't I take a break and uh, thank our first sponsor. Uh, keep this show moving. Our first sponsor is our good friends at Casper. Uh, Casper products, are they're, they're, they're the sleep experts, and their products are all cleverly designed to mimic human curves. And they provide supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. Everybody knows them for their mattresses. That's the main thing. That's, what they, that's how they got started. Look, you spend one-third of your life sleeping. I spend well over a third of my life sleeping. But you should be comfortable. Why in the world would you not get a nice mattress? You spend an entire third, eight, eight nine hours, hopefully every single night you're sleeping. Why not get a great mattress? Um, look, they've got the original Casper. That's, that's their, their flagship mattress. It is, has multiple types of supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface. Still, the, it's just a fantastic mattress. We have one here. Uh, it's, it still feels like brand new. I mean, we've we've had this mattress since whenever Casper first started sponsoring the show, which was years ago, and it's just like new. Like it, it you'd you'd never know it was a couple years old. Um, they've got great reviews. You can go to Amazon and and check out all the great reviews and how it is. Everything they make is all designed, developed, and assembled right here in the United States. And they have a wide variety of other sleep products now, like pillows and sheets and all sorts of stuff like that. We've got, we, we're like all in on the Casper stuff. I love their pillow. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the sheets are good. It's all, you know, all nice. Everything is nice. High, high thread count, everything you want. Check, 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 check them all off. And here's the deal. They have better prices than you get for a premium mattress at a mattress store because they Cut out the middleman, and they sell directly to you. And they have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. You can be completely sure of your purchase because they have a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. That's over three months. Buy it. Get it in the little adorable box that is seems ridiculously too small to have a mattress. Put it in your room. Follow the instructions. Open it up. Sleep on it for three months, and if you don't like it, they just come take it away. No questions asked. No hard sell. It's not like trying to cancel your cable subscription or something like that. They just come and take it. They've got free shipping and free returns in the U.S. and for our northern friends, Canada, too. Um, we've got a couple of uh, Casper mattresses here in the house. We love them. They're great. And they have a special deal just for listeners of the show. 50 bucks. You can save 50 bucks towards select mattresses. By visiting casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash talk show, casper.com slash talk show. And remember that code talk show, no the, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W at checkout and you will save 50 bucks. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, all right. Speaking of tablets, uh, I don't know. We, I got a couple of things to talk about this show, but uh, we could jump right into the, uh, the Google Pixel event. Yeah. Uh, Which I was going to go to, but I didn't. I did not. So I uh, was going to go, and timing-wise, it didn't really work out that great for me. They had like it was a Tuesday. Last Tuesday was the keynote, but because they had it in a sort of like it wasn't a very big venue. It seems like it wasn't a lot of seating in New York. Um, they had a full day of press stuff Wednesday too. Like where you, could, I so that's what I did. I went up on Wednesday. Um, and it was it was nice. It was a nice little. They they had a nice little setup. They had like a, sort of a big, huge. Uh, I don't even want to call it a studio, but a big, huge open space there in New York. And then they set up a bunch of kiosks and a bunch of little fake rooms. They had a fake kitchen and a fake bedroom and a fake living room. And then in like groups of three, they were taking. You know, I, I got 
paired up with two other people from the media. And then we just sort of round robin, go from each station to the next and, and see everything. It was a nice way to do, to do a hands-on thing. That's cool. Uh, and I watched the keynote on, on video. It was typical Google keynote, way too long, way too many people. <laughs> I always say it's so obvious, like the one thing Apple does, and, and it, to me, it would be like a canary in the coal mine if it ever started going the other way in terms of, well, you know, Apple's really going downhill is with like a company like Google, you can see the politics of the, the internal politics of who gets on stage, you know, like it, it it's like, well, we got to get somebody from this team up on stage. So here, let's find some reason for them to be on stage as opposed to just sort of telling a, a story straight through about the products. I thought it could have been a much shorter event. But the, uh, the tablet. Yeah. So in, they have intrigues well, you a little bit. Uh, I'm so, I just set up my, my pixel XL, which we can talk about later, yeah. but yeah. Well, the one thing I'll say this in favor in, in Google's favor, I thought it was a very cohesive group of products to be announced. Three things, the Google, the new Google pixel three in two sizes, the brand new pixel slate tablet slash keyboard cover and their, their new, uh, talk to it device with a screen called the home hub and one, two, three, those are the three products they wanted to talk about. I thought that they fit together in, in a, you know, an event very well. Um, the slate is interesting because it is their first Chrome, Chrome OS tablet, like, but it runs Android apps, you know, and I know that they've been working on getting Android apps running in Chrome OS for years now. And I kind of feel like, (laughs) I kind of feel like the whole, I kind of feel like the whole reason, maybe not the whole reason, but a, a, big driving factor in that is to get it you know to for tablets i think because i think it makes most sense there i don't think using an android app on a laptop makes all that much sense but on a touchscreen tablet type thing maybe it does right unless they do something like the the new os 10 is it called marzipan or not what are we calling nah, it? well we no. we have to call it marzipan so we can have something to call it but apple is definitely not calling it marzipan publicly yeah uh, but we can call it marzipan. Um, Got it. Yeah, I and and my first thought when I picked it up is, man, this thing is w- way too heavy. This is too heavy. Uh, and then I did uh, like on the train ride back to Philly, I did the I, I like looked up what the iPad Pros weigh, and it's actually only ever so slightly heavier than the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro. The reason I thought it was heavy is I'm used to the ten point five inch iPad. And they only have one. The Pixel Slate only comes in one size, which is roughly equivalent to the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. So it actually isn't heavy compared to an iPad Pro. It just felt heavy to me at first. Has a very nice screen. Uh, they're touting it. I guess Apple's are all 264 pixels per inch, and then the the Pixel Slate is like 295 pixels per inch. So they're bragging about having the most pixels, but it's uh, most pixels per inch. But it looks good. Um, I'll say this, just tapping around, though, with the demo apps that they had, a lot of it, they had like a text editor, like, you know, sort of like a a BB edit, you know, like a, not like a a word processor, but like a a good old fashioned plain text text editor. Um, 
forget what it was called. And I, I should have asked. I wasn't sure if, and I guess this is actually a good thing. I, I couldn't tell if it was a Chrome app or an Android app. But the fonts were just tiny, just like uh, I know I've my eyes. I'm 45 and and kind of have crap eyes, uh, but I mean by anybody's standards, this was like it, it was like the small print on a credit card application. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like when you're signing up for a new credit card and there's like all this like tiny little small print, or or like the small print when you buy like a, a iPhone or something, and there's like here's, yeah, here's, here's the warranty. It was like it was like four point type. And I, I don't know if it's configurable or not, but it seemed it was a weird thing to have on a demo machine, you know, like ready to go to tap on. Like this, this does not seem thoughtfully designed. Uh, the other thing that really stuck out to me compared to an iPad, the big thing for me is that the the keyboard cover that it has real keys and a trackpad. Uh, and you know, I tried playing with it, like snapping it out of the case back in. And as soon as you snap it out, you know, there's like a little black arrow cursor for the trackpad. As soon as you disconnect it from the keyboard, the moment it's disconnected, the arrow cursor just goes away. And then as soon as you snap it back in and move the trackpad around, the arrow cursor shows up again. So it's all, you know, I, I would really like to see Apple do something like that with the iPad, even though a, by there's no indication that they are. Because I find that one of the, to me, one of the things that drives me nuts if I ever try to do like writing on an iPad is it text selection. Just poking around with my finger on the screen, it seems so crude compared to what I could do with a trackpad, how precise I can move it and double click on words and how my hand is already right there by the trackpad. Yeah, unless you have a, and I guess if you have a stylus, if you if you're holding onto the the pencil thing, but if you are, you're probably not typing too. It's not super comfortable to hold that. Yeah, but I don't think while Apple, you're typing. Apple doesn't let you use the pencil to like move the insertion point around. It's like only really meant for drawing. Like it's hmm. so it's it, there's really no good way to select text, in my opinion, on iOS. Period. Uh, it, it's just it to me is is just a glaring hole in the iOS experience, especially in that when you have the whether it's the Apple smart keyboard cover or some any of the various third party keyboards you can get to use with an iPad. It, it's like when you have it set up like a laptop using your iPad in a rough, either very laptop like or roughly laptop like fashion, not having a, a trackpad to me is just a huge, it, it never, I never get used to it. I mean, maybe I'm too Mac centric, but it's, it certainly seems nice on the Chromebook. It's yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons I have not like every time I do try to use a, uh, an iPad pro for, text mod you know for editing basically or writing i i immediately grab my macbook and just go back to that i think you're right it, it, i don't think about it a lot but the the text the cursor insertion and just text selection is pretty bad yeah I, and you know it, it's the surface you know there's i guess the the you know the battle for these tablets now is ipad the surf microsoft surface ones and now um uh, you know, this it's like a full reset. Like Google has seemingly really backed away from Android as anything other than a phone OS, and this this Chrome OS that runs Android apps is their new tablet OS. And you know, this is the first product like it. You know, that ships with that. That's their entry in this. The other the other two, Microsoft and Google, all have trackpad support. Hmm. Oh wow! All right. Well, now we're on. Right? Yeah. It's on now. Yeah. Who who'd you get the sense that they are? building this for because 12 inch 
screen is is not a super portable tablet is this did you get a sense of this as a, a work device and not a that's a ever on the house thing it's a good question uh i thought about that too um and the other thing too is it it starts at 599 dollars, but it goes up to like fourteen hundred dollars fifteen hundred dollars depending mostly dependent on like i think there's you can either get it with like 64 or 128 gigabytes of storage but then the cpu goes up too and as you pay more for a better cpu and it, this is a, an intel device it is not running an arm chip which is to me interesting Weird. yeah um but it it it, it you are know most chromebooks uh intel i guess i i would huh. guess that they are uh they're just <laughs> i should probably know but yeah i, I yeah. think that they are but uh, i don't know uh but this is, and you have a, you know, I don't know, I've dropped off, you know, I just don't pay attention to Intel's chips anymore. You know, I, I, when I buy a MacBook, you know, I just, <laughs> there just aren't that many options on the Apple side of things. But there's like eight different CPU configurations for the Pixel Slate and with very different prices. And they, you get a little bit more RAM if you buy the more expensive ones too. So I, I, I do wonder who's buying a fourteen hundred dollar Chrome OS tablet. I mean, it's it's certainly not targeted at that low end Chromebook market, you know, that is like dominating education. You know, where there's like hundred ninety nine dollar plastic laptops. It's definitely not that. Starting at five ninety nine. I mean, I think this speaks to the bigger question. You know, if you zoom out and look at Google's hardware strategy in general, for for especially for the phones and seems like this too you, you just kind of have to wonder why they're doing it the way they're doing it i mean it basically seems like they're they're pushing for the super high end of the market they're trying to compete with and and in some cases seem to be you know very successfully either at apple's level of of you know blending hardware and software or approaching it um they're they're clearly not going mass market with these things. Uh, you know, you can right. see that the pixels are not flying off the shelves. They're not super successful commercially, uh, even though they are really nice devices. So, yeah. I guess this kind of fits in with that strange strategy. I forgot who maybe so, uh, maybe it was. I, I don't even want to misattribute this, but someone said like maybe they're just being a troll by doing all this stuff. Like they're. I don't I don't think so. And I there was a couple of pieces. I didn't I wanted to link to one. Maybe I'll get it by the end of this week. There was a piece somebody wrote, maybe at Bloomberg, kind of scoffing at the whole idea of Google doing phones and why are they even bothering? This is, you know, effectively like corporate masturbation because it's it's they're not selling enough of these to make any kind of dent in the market or dent in their bottom line. And I disagree with that. I, 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 I well, I, I don't disagree that, that it's a blip financially. Somebody did the math and figured out that Apple, like Apple sells as many iPhones in eight days as Google sold pixel phones in an entire year. Uh, I'm almost surprised that it's not even more lopsided than that. Uh, but I think that there's no other Android phones that are like the Pixel phones, in my opinion. I, I've described them a year or two ago. I, I have a Pixel 1. I skipped the Pixel 2 generation, and I've already pre-ordered a Pixel 3. Because um, I like to, you know, to me, it's the most interesting Android device. I've described it as an, it, it's an Android device for people who want Android, but they want an iPhone-like phone. 
because to me, the rest of the Android, especially the the high-end market, has sort of gone in a very different direction. I mean, for all the, the legal consternation between Apple and Samsung over the early Galaxy devices, you know, you know the, the the lawsuit that went on for ten years over the you know look and feel or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, and and remember there it, there was a moment where somebody held up uh, there was a Samsung expert witness on the stand and one of Apple's lawyers held up one of the phones and said, here, for, can you tell if this is an iPhone or the Galaxy Note three? <laughs> and the guy was like, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> it was seemingly a good moment. But I don't think that's like that anymore. There's no confusing a, gal- a high-end Samsung Galaxy, you know, S9 or the Note, whatever they're up to. They they look very different. They have a very different design language. They have it, both software and hardware. They look different. Whereas the Pixel phones, I'm not saying they're they're iPhone ripoffs, but they're they're definitely iPhone like in, yeah. in, in and, hardware. And- and very nice. Like I'm holding right. a Pixel 3 XL and an iPhone 10s Max in two hands, and they neither one of them is much obviously nicer than the other one. Like yeah. they're very very nice devices. Uh, both have really really impressive screens, and I could you know, I mean to some extent it probably is helpful for Google to be able to show their employees like, hey, look at, we can actually make this really good stuff yeah. too and you can own this and use Android as intended yeah. uh, on this device. Yeah. The other thing they do, it, it, to me, the hardware is definitely iPhone-like. I, I wouldn't mind you running iOS on one of those devices just in terms of how they feel. Yeah. They're, they're, they feel really nice in hand. They've always did. And especially, they've really made it better in the last two years. Like my, my Pixel 1 is okay, but there's things about it that I think were mistakes, like, um, like the power button they they like etched like a ridging on the side, and, mm. and it's just not pleasant. I think that because they put the volume button right below the power button, I my my guess is the thinking was, well, let's give the power button this ridged feel so you can tell. But it's like you don't need that. You just know which one's up and which one's below, you know. And they've they've gotten away from that. You know, that's they just feel better now. Um, but the other yeah. thing that they do with their phones, you said the displays are. I think the displays are fantastic. They're they're, but they're also to me very iPhone like in terms of color reproduction. Like they're not super saturated. You know, like to me the Samsung phones and the LG phones all look uh, ridiculous. Yeah, they yeah. look to me. I they're just not to my liking. It, it would they're just so over the top, oversaturated, and it's. You know, some people like that. And I, I've heard from, you know, like in China, there's a lot of people who really, really like that look. They like that. It's not really a real realistic. It's it's like hyper realistic. The, the Pixel phones are like iPhones to me in terms of having a natural sort of color landscape. Yeah, it, lo- it looks great. The uh, man, the one thing that really is throwing me off, though, are the, the missing gestures from iOS, like mm. not being able to swipe backwards and. Some of this stuff, you know, I've had it set up for about half an hour, so I'll get used to it, but, or maybe not, but uh, it's super weird. However, I just discovered something very, very smart, which is you can, I don't know how they do this, but you can squeeze the phone yeah, and it it activates their assistant, which is a really clever. It seems like a gimmick, but when I played with it in their hands-on area, it works pretty well. It's a well, and they they use haptic feedback to make it feel like you're actually squeezing the phone, which yeah. I don't I don't think I am. Like I hope right. it's not 
<laughs> bend- <laughs> well, then actually bending the phone. <laughs> but it really feels like I am, which is right. cool. Oh, I'm ag- I just hit a, I agree without reading the screen. I don't know what they're collecting on me now. Yeah, well, everything. But, uh-oh. <laughs> um, yeah. It's really yeah, I nice. I, so to me, that it, you asked before, who is the Pixel Slate for? I'm I'm not entirely sure about that answer. It's not for me because I I don't I, I'm not a big Chrome user. Uh, I, I guess if you're all in on Chrome though, and you want a tablet, this could be really nice if you're um, like sort of living the Chrome OS lifestyle. I don't know yeah, if though. you live in Google Docs. It right. might be it might be a compelling device. I don't know. Right, and it's Which you know, a lot. By the way, like tens of thousands of people in Silicon Valley live in Google Docs all day. So, yeah, I I do see it. You know, I have an iPad, I have a MacBook, and you know, I use them at different times for different things. And but there are, I can see how it would be nice to reduce it to one device in some ways. Like, let's say, like I'm a notorious tab lever opener you know i've at any given time i've got like six windows each with you know 20 tabs open in them and if i've you know oh i wanted to read that uh that story that dan wrote about whatever and i know i've got it open in a tab but i'm on the ipad it's like you can get it out of icloud but it's like i don't remember which device it was on sometimes and i don't know where to look for it whereas if it's one less device it'll you know the, the tab I have open with the article I've halfway read is is right there, even once I've detached it from the keyboard and I'm just sitting on the couch at night. So I can see that, but I don't know. But with the phones, I definitely see who the market is. And the thing that the thing that really strikes me about the Pixel owners, and it just hit me this year, is I think in some ways the Pixel the Pixel aficionados right now pixel phone aficionados remind me a lot of being a mac user in like the late 90s Mm. so you know and that was the era when uh you know there were all sorts of same thing this same argument like hey why does google even bother making these things their market share is so low it's all irrelevant they should just give up because the market share is so low that's everything everybody said about apple in 1995 right that they should give it up you know uh michael dell said uh you know what he what would he do if he ran apple he'd uh liquidate the company and give the money back right. to the shareholders um but if you if you like me were a mac user in the late 90s and you really were passionate about the things that the mac still did even at the at a you know at, at a technical level when the os was really behind the times it, at a user interface level they were they never lost that lead and and it was always a nicer user experience um it, you know, the word beleaguered was always thrown around, but that's sort of what we felt like. And I was never a big, you know, like, remember people would spell Windows W-I-N-D-O-Z-E and right, right. And, and stuff like that and get in, you know, every single Usenet group, what, whatever it was, it could be about like the weather, you know, like alt.philadelphia.weather. And eventually it's going to break into a Windows versus Mac flame war. <laughs> Like there was, there was no news group. Hey, those were fun though. <laughs> there was no news group that didn't eventually break into a Windows versus DOS flame war, whether it was computer related or not. Probably the computer groups were the least likely <laughs> because everybody had gotten it out of their system. Um, but I, I just see it like on Twitter when I see the the Pixel people like touting like their their you know photo advantages and stuff like that like i see that passion and i see their frustration that it's not more popular right that they're they're like it it just seems like google should be selling more pixels than they are because it really is a 
a very compelling device and software experience. It just doesn't seem right that it's that it's not more popular. And I yeah, that's, that a, Mac, that's a really good analogy. I think Mac users had that frustration for a long time. They really did, and I see it. You know, I mean, there was a lot of reviews. I can't speak to it because I don't have a Pixel Two. I'm getting the Pixel Three soon, but there's you know a bunch of reviews like Neilai and a few others all you know said like that the Pixel Two from last year was still a better still camera than the iPhone XS. Um, so who knows how good the Pixel Three is? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to test it, but it seems to be great. I mean, the, the fact that they're even in the same sentence is yeah. is astounding. So yeah. that's you know whether it's ten percent better or worse, or you know even more than that, yeah. uh, that's pretty pretty remarkable. Considering much like Apple, Google did not have much of a hardware, or yeah. sorry, did not have much of a, a camera and smartphone background yeah. before they just started. So yeah. Um, there's a couple of features I wrote. I wrote about it briefly on Daring Fireball, but there's a couple of features in the Pixel Three, and and it's a little confusing what's what's Pixel Three specific and what is going to ship in a software update for existing Pixel One and Pixel Two owners later this year. There's a bunch of features they talked about at the event. Some of them are specific to the Pixel Three, and some of them are coming to supposedly coming to older Pixels later. But almost like the, who cares? Um, but the one feature that really blew me away is the one they're calling Top Shot, which is like you you don't have to go to a special mode. It's just I guess you can turn it off. I don't see why you would, though, because it seems great. You take a photo and it keeps a couple of frames from before you tap the shutter button and it takes a couple of extra frames after you hit the shutter button and it shoots video in between as well. So it might take, let's say, five stills uh, at the full resolution with all of the everything you know they're they're all, they get the same hdr processing everything you, you'd want and then in between those there's video and so the if you if you take one of the video frames you're going to get less resolution you know and it's not quite as good of a photo but the idea is uh like let's say you're shooting a sporting event or or you know uh, a whale is jump you're on a boat and a whale jumps out of the water and you take a photo the the absolute best image that you get might be one of those video frames even though it's a slightly lower resolution uh image it might be the one you want to keep because it's the perfect moment right it's that perfect fraction of a sentence or or second when the moment was just perfect um but it, it, in practice, it really seems to work. I, I, again, I, this is something I don't have a pixel in hand yet, but I, so I only got to do it during the hands-on area. But what they did is they gave us each a pixel to walk around with. And while they were explaining the feature to me, I took a picture of the, the woman from Google Product Marketing who was telling me about it. And I swear, as I took the picture, I actually caught her at a bad moment when she was looking down and her eyes were closed. And as she's telling me about the Top Shot picture, I took a picture of her it was a bad a very unflattering photo because her eyes were closed and she's looking down and it immediately says would you prefer to use this one and it it went back like half a second and she looked perfect and she's looking right at me it it, it, it it's like i got i i gave myself the perfect demo of the feature and so when you take a good photo and google thinks it's a good photo it doesn't even ask you it like only is when it recognizes something like hey there's a subject here with her eyes closed we should Let's see if we can suggest something better. And it happens instantaneously. It happens right after you snap the shutter button. That's cool. You can do that manually with live photos. But right. 
Well, but the, uh, and you can the, scrub it a little right, bit. But right. The, so it's, the fact that this note this is like proactively recommending to you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and it really does. It, again, I shot like five, you know, five minutes worth of photos, but it really does seem to only suggest it to you when the photo really was taken at the wrong moment and doesn't bother you when you've taken a fine photo right away. So it doesn't annoy you needlessly, and it, when it does interrupt, it it's right. That's pretty cool. Uh, what was the other feature that I liked? Uh, I love how both of these come, both Google and Apple, though, are using software to make photos. You know what, fifty to one hundred times better than just hardware alone would be. Oh, them. absolutely. Yeah, it's and it's great that they're pushing each other. You know, and and there's you know, I'm not saying that. Google's ahead in every single regard, but it's it's great though that somebody else is uh, is doing similar type things. And I know Samsung has some AI features too. Everybody's sort of doing it, but it seems to me like Google and Apple are ahead ahead of everybody else here in different ways. And, and who's not doing it are the camera companies. Like right. I, I almost never, you know, I, I still love the the photo that will come out from my Fuji more than you know. It just feels like I'm taking a photo in a way that an iPhone photo still does not, but <laughs> when you, when you do a side by side, you know, a lot of times the, the iPhone photo actually does look better. Yeah. Um, another cool feature they have, I guess it's not a camera feature, but it's the, did you see the, um, the call screening feature? I did. Yeah. That was cool. That is really it's very googly. It's very googly. And it really, you know, and they did again, they, they demoed it exactly the right way where there was like a Google employee up in a, a you know, like in a different room who called <laughs> us and we got a real phone call in an unmarked uh, uh, restaurant in, uh, yeah. <laughs> in Silicon Valley. Well, it was the complete yeah. opposite of duplex, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because it was a real demo of a real feature and super useful. And it's like they said, I mean, they even acknowledged, you know, that, that, you know, the, 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 spam phone calls are worse than ever you know I, I get them all the time so it would i would love to have that feature on ios and it just makes so much sense that like it just takes you know that for all these years i mean going back before iphone going back to like you know the original cell phones where they had a green button and a red button there have always been two buttons for when a phone call comes in take it or don't take it and now there's this third option where it's like Okay, phone, you talk to this jerk. See who it is. <laughs> right? And if it turns out it's somebody you know, if it's like, you know, your accountant is calling you or, or somebody you know is calling from a weird number, you can see it on the transcript and then just jump right into the call and be like, oh, okay, I didn't know who it was. That's a very, very cool feature. And like you said, very, very googly. Um, what else? So what do you, do you have both phones as a review unit? I do, yeah. I've only done the big one, so I'm uh, not uh, taking out the. I just I just picked them up today, so I have not. I will say I think it's a little. I think it's a little weird, and it is a little. It, it, they've gone the wrong way. Like one of my very very favorite things about the iPhone XS is that the XS and the XS Max are the only difference is the size. That the, the cameras are exactly the same, the CPU is exactly the same. They have the same amount of RAM. It's just you want a bigger one, you know. So the display is bigger and the battery is bigger because the, you know, because it's more room for a bigger battery. But that's it. Um, they look the same, you know. And I, I just think anyway. This is my way of saying I can't believe they put a big ugly notch on the one and not the other. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't seem to. I, I maybe I'm not finding it, but there does not seem to be the 
face ID type thing? No, they don't. No, there is no face ID type thing. It's it's Mm. only there to have the two cameras because so the the other weird thing I'm not weird, but but certainly different from Apple. I'll just say different is that they still only have one camera on the back as the main camera. But now they have two cameras on the front, one of which is like a normal uh, focal length selfie camera. And now they have this super wide angle, almost fisheye selfie camera to get a wider field of view. Um, oh, weird. <laughs> I can see my whole apartment in one. Right. In one. <laughs> right. So you zoom. It's like you, you go to the selfie camera and then you can zoom the other way instead of like zooming in like a telephoto. You zoom out and it's super wide in there. It seems interesting, I guess. I don't you know. know what I would use this all the time. <laughs> yeah. As someone who has an embarrassing number of selfies, I would probably <laughs> use this all the time. That's cool. All no. right. But it looks, I mean, it actually looks kind of like a person looking back at you because there's two. Yeah. It looks like a smiling creature of some sort. But yeah, I was surprised there was no face ID type thing. No. No. Which it's I'm, now, I'm now hooked on, like this yeah. fingerprint thing, like get rid of it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know. I know that there are all sorts of people out there who have mixed feelings about face ID versus touch ID and who were should not be holding their breath for it, but are secretly hoping that Apple is working on touch ID under the glass. Like uh, I'm telling you, don't True. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think. No. Uh, and I, I actually think who knows? I could be wrong that it, maybe it would work well in addition to face ID, but I sort of feel like there's an advantage to only having one biometric ID, you know, that you don't have to, choose between fingerprint and face id it's like if you've got the new phone you want to use face id and if you have an older phone you use touch id um i agree with you though they definitely lose style points for having the notch on one of them but not the other yeah 99.9 percent of people will never have both of them no at any point so and nor nor is this like ios where they dictate how every phone looks like yeah you know (laughs) The whole point of Android is that it works on, you know, a hundred thousand different phones. So it it's a weird looking notch too, though. It is it's a it's the biggest notch I've ever seen. It, it's a deep notch. It's a deep notch, and I know it's you know it's been amusing to watch like the the larger Android, Fandroid, you know world of people are very down on this notch. You know, to their credit, you know that they're being honest. You know, they're not just oh, I love pixel phone so i'm going to say this notch is the best notch no instead the consensus seems to be that this not this notch is hideous it's just you know what it's just ungainly yeah it's not bothering me at all well it it is kind of weird but i don't know it's fine i still don't like the notch on the iphone 10 i i i you know i am used to it though yeah i don't even i don't even see it anymore right but you know it, it just is weird that the two phones have different you know foreheads because the one has a regular forehead and the other one are has you notch. are you back to the normal 10 size now yes i've i've I, I i this is a weird thing is i know that when you put the 10s max next to like a previous plus phone like an iphone 8 plus or 7 plus whatever they're almost exactly the same size it's it's like less than i think it's like a millimeter the the iphone 10s max is is like a millimeter smaller in each dimension or something like that it's very very similar but for some reason it 
looks and feels smaller in my hand than the plus size phones did. I I think it's just like an optical illusion created by the fact that that it has so much greater screen to body area ratio. It it somehow feels smaller. So I never liked the plus size phones at all. I never was tempted to buy a, a six plus or seven plus or any of those. Uh, even though it always bothered me that they had slightly better cameras, you know, with optical image stabilization and and a few features that the smaller one didn't have. It just the the XS Max was actually somewhat tempting to me. It, it was the first time Apple made a larger phone that it, I was like, hmm, maybe. And there were times when I was testing it when I forgot which one I had. I was like, wait, is this the bigger one or the smaller one? But I did end up buying the smaller one. Yeah, I haven't. I'm I'm still in the review unit stage i i was a plus guy for the three years or whatever it was during that era and now i'm testing out this max and boy that screen is gorgeous and the to me the most underappreciated thing about the bigger phones is that typing is much more accurate because the keys are wider yeah but I'm not really using the whole screen for anything. Yeah. Um, like I, I still find myself reading in the top kind of third of the screen almost or top yeah. fourth of it. And this thing just feels big in your pocket, you know? Yeah. Um, although having the new Apple Watch Series 4 makes it kind of a different game because the – and we can talk about the the new watch for a bit. I mean it's it is a really damn good device. Like it, it feels like a – computer on your wrist now in a way that it just did not yeah. previously and i would say that's 80 percent just speed like you it it actually responds to your clicks and and doesn't get caught up in you know a series of of commands um but the software is starting to get really good too like, i mean especially the watch face like yeah. that well hold that thought let's, let's okay. save it for a different section um I got the feeling at the press thing, and I I feel like I'm clearly in the minority. I don't know, like, and it's the sort of thing Apple doesn't like to talk about. They'll they'll give unit sales for iPhones, but they don't like to break it down by model. I would love to know what percentage of people are buying the regular XS and what are buying who are buying the XS Max. I, I really don't even know how to guess how that's going. But at least among the enthusiast crowd, like the sort of people who go to Google a Google press event to see the new phones uh, it, the the bigger size is clearly the more popular it, it's like because uh, and, and you know it's a funny thing because like you go to the apple event and almost everybody's carrying an iphone around like at the google thing most of the press who i was there looking around with uh, were carrying pixels you know because they're sort of google you know it's it's going to draw google oriented members of the media totally but it really looked to me just doing a quick eyeball survey that almost all of them had the pixel 2 plus or whatever they what do they call the big one plus uh, uh xl xl yeah. yeah pixel 2 xl uh whereas i liked the smaller one better for sure but it is weird. It does look a little dated because it has a forehead and a chin. I mean, here I am knocking the notch on the other one, but yeah. And it seems it. It's just one of those things that Apple Apple does better than anybody. But you know, and, and Google as sort of hardware being not their forte, the fact that even the the one with the notch still has the chin down below at the bottom. Uh, it just is. It, it it's not a premium look. Yeah, you wonder why they kept it, you know, whether they had to or they chose to. Yeah. I don't know. 
it does. I, it does I think, feel last year. I think they had to. I, I think that that it it was. It's technically super super hard to go edge to edge, um, even though they're OLED, which makes it easier and not LCD. But uh, it, it everything I've heard from people at Apple is that getting these things, you know, doing getting the iPhone 10 and 10s to do it, you know, to get as close to corner to corner as they are is technically very hard. And then the the 10R which we can you know get to is even harder because it's an lcd screen not an oled um it just looks weird it, it just is sort of a weird look for the pixels in my opinion i also thought that they were a lot lighter i don't know what they what they weigh compared to a 10s but i don't mind how much the 10s weighs but it is true i mean steel weighs more than aluminum so it's <laughs> it is it is a heavier device i feel like the pixels really compare better to the 10r because they're they're more just off the top of my head, they're both glass on the front, glass on the back, aluminum on the sides, and then a single camera on the back, right? So it's sort of the the 10R is the one, and you know, and the starting price is around the same, around seven hundred fifty eight hundred dollars. It's like the 10S is sort of a different class device than even the best Pixel. That's true. We're entering a 10R world. I need to recalibrate all my analysis now. Yeah. I can't wait to find out more about it. Like the 10R was is sort of, uh, it's like they announced it and it was interesting and you know it was kind of rumored and here it is and it's this you know it's just so strange in so many ways because it's like it's not the same size as the 10s or the 10s Max. It's in between. <laughs> it's one size and it's in between, which is a weird third size, and it only has one camera, but it's the same great camera. You know the that the 10s has uh and it comes in a bunch of fun colors which apple hasn't done with an iphone since all the way back at the 5c you know it's different in so many ways and i kind of feel and i just feel like uh, most people feel like 800 bucks is already a ton of money to spend on a phone and so i just can't help but think that the 10r is going to be an incredible seller you know because it has the look and it has the performance of an iphone 10 and you know saving 250 bucks for a you know primarily missing out on a 2x telephoto camera that i'm guessing a lot of people never use it's you know seems like it seems like a lot of people are going to go into the apple store and be like why would i even think about buying the more expensive one yeah it, that's going to be really interesting because w- once you divide it into the monthly payments it's not as drastic a dollar difference right. but because no, you know, very few people are actually buying the phone outright. Uh, but even on a monthly basis, it's probably I don't know what ten, twenty bucks cheaper a month. So maybe, yeah, um, I don't know. And I just don't think typical people are going to see the difference. I mean, I, I not like they wouldn't be able to tell them apart. I mean, certainly the colors tell you that, you know. But I really don't think that a typical person would look at an iPhone XS and XR side by side and think uh, that the XS is that much better you know especially inside if you're if you're outside i you know not i don't i would never want to not have well i don't know i haven't tried the 10r outside maybe it's amazing um but the you you can tell uh oled outside in a way that yeah lcd just was not as good before yeah and you know, uh, I mean, it's you see it when you play games and watch movies or something like that too, where OLED has these richer blacks. But I, to tell you the truth, I don't really watch movies on my phone. I mean, it's, no. 
I either watch on TV or if I am on an airplane or something, I want a bigger screen than the phone. So, you know, I, I kind of miss out on that. Um, do you think this new, what is it? Liquid retina. Do you think that's what they're going to call the iPad pro? I wonder, too? that's a good, that's a good question. I, I guess I would guess so. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the exact same technology. Uh, I do have another theory, by the way, because the other feature that's missing from the 10R is 3D touch. And it has been widely reported ever, you know, and this was one of those things that Ming-Chi Kuo had, you know, leaked a report back in February or something. So it's a long time ago, it came out that Apple's 6.1 inch mystery phone was going to lack 3D touch. And it's all been reported as like a cost saving measure, because this is the lower cost new iPhone. But it's not really a lower cost new iPhone. It starts at $800 or 750 bucks like that. That's the normal price for a new flagship iPhone, like the, the 10s and the iPhone 10 created a new super tier above the normal price. And, you know, like when they first introduced, I just looked it up last night for the show, actually, but the I, 3D Touch debuted with the iPhone 6S. And that was a phone that started at like $699. That was the entry level price back then for the 6S. And they all had 3D Touch. So it's not cost per se. You know, if, if a 699 phone four years ago could have 3D Touch, then cost wise, surely the $750 10R could have 3D touch. I think it's a technical problem that that whatever shenanigans and, and technical wizardry they had to pull to get an LCD screen that comes as close to corner to corner as they did. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. reason that LCDs have always had foreheads and chin is, is for the backlighting stuff. Um, I think that whatever they had to do to get the... They they sacrifice 3D touch to get it to look like an iPhone 10 that goes corner to corner, and I'm betting that it's an engineering problem, not a cost problem. And if it saves seven bucks per phone, I'm sure that makes Tim yeah, Cook happy too. But it is weird for the product experience, though that the, that they work in different ways for stuff like turning on the flashlight and stuff like that. Yeah, that was one of the things I just noticed on this Pixel too is not not having because. Uh, you know, I basically only use it for cursor movement, moving yeah. the cursor. But that alone, to me, pays for the feature. So, not having it. All right, this might blow your mind, thing. though. This might blow your mind. Did you know? I think it's an iOS 12 feature. I don't think it was there in iOS 11. But Apple has added, and I think it was specifically with iPads and the 10R in mind. You can now get that cursor move around feature on a non 3D touch iOS device by holding down on the space bar. Hold down on the space bar for a little bit, and then you get the same thing. Oh, okay. So you can buy a 10R, and you still you don't miss out on the, you know. And for oh the, yeah, look at that! Wow. And, and for those of you listening who don't know what I'm talking about, it because I one time a couple episodes, I, six months ago, I mentioned this, and I got so much email from people saying, "Oh, holy shit, that's the greatest tip ever!" I didn't, I had no idea. Is that on a on a modern iPhone with 3D Touch when you're typing? It, this actually gets to the point we were talking about earlier with the trackpad support where you can 3D touch anywhere on the keyboard and it turns the keyboard into a trackpad where you can move the insertion point around whatever text it is you're editing. And if you touch again while you're moving it, it'll select text. Um, it's it's Once you know to do it, it is a truly, I, I, I know it's a cliche, but it's a game-changing feature. 
Uh, you can do it now on non-3D Touch iOS devices by holding down on the space bar for a fraction of a second, and it's a fantastic feature. Uh, All before, right, well, there you go. We've just paid for the... Before we go on, I wanted, here's, here's the other feature I wanted to mention with the Pixel cameras, and it seems very cool. It's called motion autofocus. So you compose your shot, and you tap and hold on like the subject. Let's say it's a dog, or or somebody's up. Somebody at, at Google actually went to a concert the night before, and and shot. Uh, it was a great little video, or uh, really cool. But you can like tap on a on the subject, and then once you tap on it, if the subject moves around the the focus stays on that person as they move around using you know artificial intelligence to identify what it is so it for a moving subject it's absolutely it seems absolutely amazing and once you see it you think oh my god every camera should have this and again like you said where it's google and apple who are inventing these things and the camera companies seem to be just leaving 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 all this stuff on the table yeah, this is exactly what I need on my Fuji. So, <laughs> right, cool. All right, great. Fuji's probably the closest, in my opinion. I'm not. I can't say I'm a camera expert, but I think Fuji of the major camera companies is the company that seems to me to be most taking seriously the world of computational photography. Uh, maybe I'm biased because I have a Fuji X100s, which is now a couple years old. I'm sure the newest ones do even more, but it just seems to me like Fuji is doing more. Uh, more more confidently moving towards the world of computational photography and whereas like canon and nikon to me still seem to be treating digital sensors as like it's like a 35 millimeter strip of film i have i i guess i'm looking in the wrong spots then i need to (laughs) i need to do some more research on that because it it, uh, you know i I buy Fuji for the glass and for the, uh, you know, for the look and feel of the camera and also right. the amazing image quality. I have not noticed much of the computational well, photography, I think, but I will I, have to do some reading on it now. I think compared to, compared to Google and Apple, they're still light years behind. Yeah, you know, it's just the the motion. This motion focus tracking is just mind blowing. But no, once you it see it, amazing. It, it it's very cool. You could do it. You don't even have to be a person. Like like somebody uh, at the hands-on area last week just did it like showed their watch and then it like moved their hand around the frame and as they move the hand around the frame the little white square stays on the watch it's really cool i mean and the best part of all this it just seems intuitive like this is how photography should work um you know ignoring all of the technical constraints of the actual process of of using sensors to take a digital image like you know even the simplest thing of being able to zoom by pinching on the viewfinder screen on an yeah. iPhone. Like, yeah, duh. Of course, yeah. that's how a photo feature should work. So, yeah. What else is Google doing? They're, they had a cool feature. I don't know how well this works. I mean, because they obviously knew they, they had like a pair of Nikes and you point. I think it's a different mode you put the camera in, but you put it like in ID mode, show it, show the Nikes. And then it immediately says, oh, these are the Nike Air Max, whatever, whatever. I, mean, I, I have to, you know, I'm in, I hope Panzerino doesn't listen to this, but. <laughs> you know, whatever model of Nike this is, you know, it tells you exactly what model it is and gives you options for where you could go buy them right now and stuff like that. I, 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 how widely that works with, you know, all brands of shoes and shirts and whatever else you might identify, who knows, but apparently it works great with like movie posters. So you point it at a movie poster oh, cool. and tells you everything you want to know about that movie. It's, it's a pretty cool feature. 
All right, let me take another break here. Thank our next sponsor, and it's our good friends at Squarespace. Look, Squarespace makes building a new website as easy as it can possibly be. I honestly can't even fathom how you could get a custom-made, custom-designed website that you have complete control over in a way that is like less busy work, less uh, fiddling, less tedium than Squarespace. And it really is soup to nuts. Everything from registering domain names, picking templates, adjusting the look and feel, actually being a CMS. So like if you're one of the features on your site is a blog, or if you want to host a podcast on your Squarespace site, you enter, you know, you actually, you know, the, the CMS for making a new episode or making a new blog post, all of that is right there in Squarespace. All of it is right there. Um, it really is just a fantastic service. They've been sponsoring this podcast for as long as I can remember, and people keep signing up, and that's why they keep coming back as a sponsor. But it, it really is great. I say it all the time that the next time you have to make a website, or even more importantly, if somebody, your friend or family, somebody comes to you and they don't know jack about making websites, and they know you do, and they come to you for help. Get them started on Squarespace, and it'll get them out of your hair, <laughs> it, and it'll be everybody will be happier. You'll be happier because you're not building a website for them as a favor. They'll be happier because they're going to get a terrific website, and they're going to have control over it. And if they need help, they can get help from Squarespace. They don't have to go to you. Uh, it really is a fantastic service, and it just you just cannot believe if you ever start doing view source on various websites, you just wouldn't believe how many websites on a daily basis you use that are Squarespace sites. Uh, every time you see like a new website from like a cool new restaurant or something like that, if you do view source, I'll bet it's a Squarespace site. Cause you know what? Like if you're opening a website, you know what you don't want to do? You don't want to screw around and waste weeks building a website and you don't want to spend a fortune hiring somebody to, for tens of thousands of dollars to build one. You just want to get your brand out there, get your menu up, tell people where the hours are. You could do it yourself on Squarespace. It really is super easy for non-technical users, non-designers even to build a really great looking website uh, that works great, super fast, everything you'd want. Uh, you know, responsive designs looks good on everything from phones to a giant iMac. Um, it's really great. So check them out next time you need a website or somebody you know needs a website. And uh, if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name registration. So start your trial today. You get a free trial, by the way. That's the other thing. You can build it and use it uh, for a while, like 30 days and you don't have to pay a dime. When you do pay, go to squarespace.com slash talk show, just squarespace.com slash talk show. And remember that code talk show, know the, and you will save 10% off your first purchase. So you could save 10% on that whole first year, save 10% and get the free domain name. That's squarespace.com slash talk show. Kind of want to start, uh, bribing and or forcing all restaurants to just move over to Squarespace. I, I, if when, they, when there is a bad website for a restaurant, I, I think the exact same thing. I, I, it's like <laughs> half an hour out of my day just to find the menu or the reservation link or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, flash still? Uh, it's, it's, I feel like restaurants always had, they were always flash. I would say there was no industry in the world that was more likely to have a flash player website than restaurants. I feel like they've gotten their act together in recent years. I feel, especially in new places, at least here in Philly, it seems like a lot of new places have pretty good websites now. Well, it's because if you view source, they're pretty much all Squarespace now. Mm -hmm. There's, there are a couple other tools that exist, but they're not as good. No. So. 
Uh, and you know, and I also feel like websites, <laughs> websites for, it was like, you could just do like a talk at like a web design conference about how bad web websites for restaurants were. People want the exact same thing for every time they go to, to, to a website for a restaurant. They want like three things. They want to see the menu. <laughs> they want to know the hours and they want to know how do you make a reservation? You know, it's, it's it. that, and usually now it's open table, but just get, put them, put a big button there so they can tap it and shoot them right over to open table to make the reservation. But that's all people want. And websites used to hide all of those, all of those things. Like, how could you have a restaurant and not put the menu up? That's what people want to know. Is there something here to eat that looks good to me? Yeah. Uh, it's right. nuts. All right. Uh, the home hub, that's the last thing from Google that I didn't talk about. It's, it's like a little, uh, you know, they've got a whole bunch of these, you know, the, their little speaker type things. And this one has a screen. Uh, I kind of think of these things with this screen speakers, Amazon has one, you know, we, well, we don't one, need to get into detail about yeah. Facebook's, but one of the things they mentioned very, very, uh, prominently was that they deliberately did not put a camera in this device. And I thought that's pretty interesting coming from Google, you know, who, who, you know, you could see Apple bragging about making a thing without a camera for privacy sake. But, uh, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that Google did, um, uh, I don't know about these things with the screen. I guess I kind of get it. I think that the home hub though, is it is too small is my that's my take because it's sort of like this i don't know what the diagonal measurement of the screen is but it's sort of like uh, either a very very small tablet even smaller than an ipad mini or like the world's biggest phone like the biggest phablet <laughs> ever made but if you're going to have it in your kitchen and it has a screen i feel like people want to use that as a tv at some point they want to watch video and you know they own YouTube, and they definitely mentioned YouTube in terms of like, hey, you know, you can talk to the thing and get it to show YouTube videos. But I feel like it's too small of a screen in a kitchen to be that. I feel like you want something more like the size of a regular iPad as a minimum. And then the other area where they showed it off was like as a bedside table dingus. And I don't feel like that makes any sense at all because everybody charges their phone next to their bed, so they don't need a device that size. And in fact, Google even came out with their own little Qi charging pad uh, stand that stands your iPhone up so it can serve as a, a bedside clock slash picture viewer. So I, I, I don't I don't get the home hub. I, I get the idea of having a screen on these talking devices, but I feel like if you're going to have a screen, you want it to be at least like 10 inches, at least for use in a kitchen. I, I just feel like this one is too small. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I've watched many uh, '90s Cubs games on a four-inch tube TV in my kitchen, but yeah, that, that was, that, you don't have to do that anymore. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watch I watch my iPad a lot when I do watch video. It's often in the kitchen because we only have yeah. one, we only have one TV, and so I'll, I'll often watch baseball games uh, on the iPad. And I just can't imagine doing it on a smaller screen than a 9.7 inch iPad. Like it's nice for me. And it's, it's certainly at, at 9.7 inches. It isn't something that you would be, it wouldn't be great for a communal viewing, right? Like it's sort of personal. It's like the nice, like a nice size for you to watch one thing. You wouldn't really want to have like a group of four people staring at an iPad, but yeah. And it's ambient, like, especially these kitchen things. I I'm kind of interested in these. I don't own any of them, but like in the Facebook one is, you know, its own kind of can of worms, but 
uh, which does have camera that will track you around if you want to do video conferencing on it. Um, I think the idea of having kind of a purpose-built device that's just on in the kitchen, uh, you don't have to go find the iPad. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, yeah. you, you don't maybe don't have your phone with you. I think it's interesting, especially for kind of ambient TV, like a, like a sports game where you're going to ignore 75% of it, but then maybe, you know, lean over and watch the right. at bat or the, you know, the, right. the, the field goal. Uh, but for looking up recipes or playing playing music or whatever, uh, it's it's an interesting genre to me. I I don't I, I haven't spent my own money on any of them. I don't I don't know if I will. Um, it, to me, it's like okay, I have an old iPad that does a lot of that already. Uh, but I can see why Amazon and Google and Facebook are are making them. It's, yeah. it's certainly you know, and they don't have to be the thinnest thing imaginable. They don't have to. In many cases, they're plugged into the wall, so they don't even have to have a, a, ba- a good battery life. Uh, so it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. It you know, it kind of serves the purpose that the home PC may have once had, like the living room yeah. computer yeah. where the family can each check their email or yeah. or do thing. You're not going to do your homework on it, but. Right. No, uh, and, and the interface is interesting exactly along the lines you're talking where instead of being – I don't even know what OS it's running. I don't know if it's running if, – if it's Android under the hood. I guess I should have asked. That's a question I guess I could have asked. I, I, I guess it might be Android, but it it's not Android like – it's not like a phone. You know, There's no home button and a screen full of apps and text that is meant to be held 18 inches from your eyes. Everything on it is is big. You know, the text is big and it's, it's, you know, in a way, even an iPad is still sort of, it can't, it can't do everything. It can't be, you know, you can't have an interface that works both 18 inches in front of your face and five feet away. Right. Right. And, and so for things like cooking instructions and stuff like that, the text is comically large compared to a phone, but it actually seems exactly right for something that might be well over an arm's reach away while you're making whatever it is you're making. I just feel like it should be, it should be bigger. I think, I don't know though. I just don't know if, if like this is the device that people all of a sudden decide they, they love and, and need, but yeah, I, I probably would have said that about the first Echo devices too, and in, in the smart speakers, and right. here we are, and everyone has one now. So, and yeah. I use mine every day. Um, yeah, I you know, that's funny. I, I, I it's a digression, I guess, but we have um, like smart shades. Um, Ooh, oh, I need those. Oh, it's they're great. Um, yeah, they're from Lutron, and they're super quiet. And for a, a long time. We to you know we have buttons that you know little remotes that, that control them and they're they're okay, but it's it's really better when when you issue voice commands and you can raise all of them like on our main living floor all at once. Um, but we had it for a long time where we had the only the only integration that 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 ours supported was Amazon, so we had to do it through the Echo, and um, it, you had to give these exact commands like so to open the kitchen shades it was uh hey dingus turn on kitchen shades up so the name of the scene was kitchen shades up and to make it happen (laughs) you had to say turn on so grammatically that's a mess turn on kitchen shades up and then turn on kitchen shades down 
And and there was also this weird rule. And again, I, I'm not blaming Amazon. It might have been Lutron who, who whose fault it was. And maybe with other things, it, it would be better with Amazon. But not only that, but you in your scene names, you couldn't use the words on and off. It was, <laughs> uh, and it's just it's it was. Uh, and it's so much time. So we got it. We got it. We got like the base station for the Lutron thing. It's just looks like a little like Wi-Fi router. Um, uh, but we got that swapped out with one that's HomeKit compatible. And I like doing this stuff through Siri so much better. And I know that, you know, all sorts of people think Siri's garbage and Alexa is so much better. But you can in the home app, you can like it's so much easier to a it's way easier to program like and to adjust it. And you can give it whatever name. And it's it's like with the Amazon thing, I could never I honest to God couldn't figure it out. It was like it's like once we had it set up, that was it. But I didn't know how to change it. but it still is sort of confusing and and Siri lets you speak to it so much more naturally you can just you know name it name something kitchen uh kitchen shade open the kitchen shades and just say you know hey dingus open the kitchen shades and and you can say all sorts of things like um just you know o- open up the shades in the kitchen and it'll it'll do it. it it doesn't have to be the exact right command line style incantation like it understands natural language but it was funny. I was confused and thought it was broken because I programmed it so that our, our, both our living room and our kitchen are on the same floor. And I made a scene called open all shades and close all shades. And then I would say, Hey, dingus, open all shades. And sometimes it would work and open them all. And then other times it would open every shade in the house, including like in our <laughs> bedrooms. And it was because I named it. It was like, I gave it a bad scene name because sometimes Siri would interpret it as this is the exact name of a scene you defined. I'll do it. And other times it was like, I'll open every shade I know about because you said open all the shades. Yeah, which is actually it was almost like it was too clever. So I changed the name of the scene to like main floor shade, open main floor shades and close main floor shades. And now there's no more confusion. But I have to say that editing that stuff in the home app in iOS is so much nicer to me, way nicer and way more sensible and very visual in terms of, oh, I see. Here's it just here's the icons for all the shades that will go up when I turn this scene on. Um it's super, super visual and and really nice. And I almost feel like Apple doesn't get enough credit for how nice that is. Yeah. Especially now that, you know, and I haven't actually spent much time in the Siri, uh, whatever the automator thing is called, um, the workflows. Yeah. Uh, Shortcuts, shortcuts, shortcuts. Yeah. But being able to stitch all those things together, uh, makes really makes HomeKit compelling. If you already have all the devices. Yeah. It's a big if, but once you do, it's really, really pretty sweet. Yeah, but even just like the home app, being able to toggle that stuff without saying anything too is can be useful. Yeah, totally, uh, absolutely, and it, you know, just open it up, choop, hit a button, there it goes. Yeah, the, I, you know, much like uh, live photos, I can imagine HomeKit being one of those things that just becomes quietly more and more popular and useful, and yeah, the kind of thing that. You know, I, I only have one. <laughs> I have one smart light bulb, so that doesn't do anything, but. Um, when we move, we'll probably have a bunch of stuff. So, um, yeah. And I have to say it was really pretty cool too, because I, I, at some point when we first bought these shades, we had to set up this Lutron app and we got an account with Lutron and uh, it's uh, I've, but I haven't opened that Lutron app in like over a year. I, in fact, I'll bet that on my iPhone 
10s, I'm not even logged in because I don't think I've, I haven't opened it since I got a new phone. But once you've got it configured, when you open the iOS home app, it already knows about all these things because the Lutron app like uses the APIs to say, okay, I'll report to HomeKit. Here's everything I know about. And so you open the Apple home app and all of the stuff that you, it can control, it's all just there. Like you don't have to like add devices to home. It Once you've configured them in whatever the app is for the thing, it's really, really pretty nice. And I feel like exactly what you said, that it's sort of... Everybody was like, ah, you know, and there was that whole thing when HomeKit was first announced where because they had sort of uh, a lot tighter uh, review process and security concerns, you know, that there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of things that you could control through the Amazon, you know, devices. And there were a lot fewer for Home HomeKit because Apple had these more stringent things. But I feel like quietly they've, you know, gotten a lot of these things into the system. I don't know. It might be, it's something that if anybody blew it off years ago, it's worth another look if you haven't looked at it recently, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, what else do we got here? We, got, we didn't talk about it. We, we're saving it. We're saving the, uh, the Apple Watch Series 4. Yeah. Why don't we... Uh... Yeah, let's, do, do, let's talk about it. I, I, it's like you said. Or did you, we, can, <laughs> we can fit it in with the, uh, the, new, <laughs> the new Palm phone that came out oh my today. which is basically an apple watch with no band on it right like right <laughs> i linked to it on daring fireball i guess i'll put it in the show notes dieter bone of course who's the the palm guy uh, the reviewed. palm guy love it it's it, a it's so weird that somebody bought the name palm and put this on this because it, there's nothing palm like about it it just says palm but it's not web os it's android it's mostly stock Android. It's a little phone that Verizon is selling um, very heavily. It, it Verizon, I guess, is a big part of it. I don't think it's even on any other carriers. It even has a little Verizon thing on the glass on the front, sort of subtle down at the bottom. Uh, Which in itself is, like, as Dieter points out, is kind of messed up because Verizon arguably like sunk the the palm by not <laughs> selling the, the pre right. or whatever. <laughs> Right when when Palm was was worth saving and and really was making very interesting products that just couldn't get traction for some reason, Verizon definitely helped sink them. <laughs> and now they're selling a device. But now they're back with Steph Curry. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it has a three point three inch screen, which is actually smaller than even the original iPhone. The original iPhone is three point five. Uh, it's a tiny little phone. It obviously has smaller bezels than an old iPhone too, so it's uh, it's not quite corner to corner, but it's pretty small. It's you know certainly one of the smallest touchscreen phones I've ever seen, uh, and it looks adorable. Um, but to me, the the thing that is just like, what are they thinking? Is that it's designed as a secondary phone that that you know in the same way that with a cellular Apple Watch, you pay ten bucks a month to Verizon so that you can have this second phone. It, that technically has its own SIM card and phone number, but instead, because it's paired with your main device, you're, you know, if you put your main phone away and you go out with your little new Palm phone and somebody calls your regular number, the Palm phone will, will ring and you'll talk to it on there and you'll get your text messages there, et cetera. It's like an alias to your, yeah. to your phone as opposed to a second phone. Right. But it's like, I, to me, having the cellular Apple Watch is pretty cool in that regard. Uh, and especially now with uh, the new watch OS, 
uh, uh, I, I, and now that third party apps like overcast, uh, can, can actually do, uh, podcasts from the watch. It's uh, when I go jogging now, I don't have to put my phone in a ridiculous fanny pack underneath my shirt. I can, I can literally just leave the house with just my watch and AirPods. And I, it's such a great AirPod feature the way that if the AirPods are par- paired with my phone, but I leave the house without them with my watch, they just automatically go to the watch and it's like, okay, I'll just play the audio from the watch and you don't have to fiddle around with anything it just works. And I go to overcast play a podcast and I'm listening to it. It's fantastic. And I know that if somebody calls me, I'll get, I'll get the phone call. It's, it's, it, it's really a great feature, but I can't see, I can't, I having it on a watch, having your watch be a secondary phone is, seems like a great feature and I really do like it. It's definitely worth 10 bucks a month to me. Um, having a second phone, <laughs> not so much. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I wish that they had just made a phone at this really tiny, adorable size and made it good enough that it could be your main phone, that it has a great camera. And, and you know, that to me would be more of a statement in terms of, hey, how about we focus less on these five and a half inch screens that absorb so much of our attention every day? How about you take a tiny little 3.3 inch phone and spend less time on it? That would be more interesting to me. This this idea of a secondary phone, it, it, it goes back to that Dave Morin from, uh, what was it, <laughs> Path with his day, yeah. day phone and night phone. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, uh, I, 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 have, I mean, I have no interest in this at all. Uh, I, I've found there, there's another company that's called Punkt or Punkt that makes like, you know, uh, Android powered essentially like candy bar phones like Hmm. all all these things that that are trying to to like force you off of your phone either for convenience or for you know time well spent quote unquote um the idea that people are going to spend another 350 dollars for that just doesn't make any sense to me like it's does not seem like uh you know i i don't know the watch i guess that's how much my problem i think my new watch actually costs like 500 dollars. but uh so here i am a right. huge hypocrite, but uh, that again to me has has different utility. Like it's it's a purpose built device as opposed to having just a second smaller phone that doesn't have. I guess if you're on Android, maybe it's le- like if if you're on an iPhone, I don't know how you what just switch over to Android at nighttime or something. I, I guess it's, it's clearly meant for people who have an Android phone. It's not because yeah. it doesn't it won't do iMessage either. So, right. Oh, yeah. True. Right. Uh, That's why I was scared to put my SIM card into this Pixel Three. I don't. I don't want to mess up my <laughs> iMessage. Oh, I forget how that works now. That's why I have a. I have a. I bought a second SIM yeah. card years ago. But uh, I'm gonna get a second SIM card for that. Yeah, I got it at T-Mobile, and it's great. It's. I forget what I pay per month, but it's. It really is like no nonsense. It's like forty bucks a month or something like that, and it's like no. It, the bill really is like forty bucks a month. It's not I like. I don't want to try the Project Fi. Oh, that's another Google thing. Yeah, especially if you're going to pop it, be popping it into Android phones. It's probably. But I just a don't good thing know how easy that is to start and stop. Yeah, I don't really want to keep paying for it. Yeah, after the, the T-Mobile one months. is great because it's prepaid and you can sign up to automatically renew every month. But if I ever uh, do, but if I ever do want to cancel, I, I, you know, I, I, I would just go to their website, say I want to cancel, and I. And then at the end of the month, my SIM card will just stop working. 
So mm. there's no no contract, no funny business. It's it's really a great way. You know, if you're gonna get a, it just seems so much easier than getting a, a sim like a a secondary quote unquote sim card from like the the AT and T or Verizon. Yeah, totally. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so the the watch. Uh, yeah. So the Palm. I don't. I don't really have much to say about the Palm other than that. Uh, as someone who loved, loved, loved Palm for I don't know what fifteen years, like sad to see this this era but right. <laughs> this too will pass i guess i don't know yeah it's 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 a it's such a it's the saddest story in the entire it, it, i'm going to uh, to me the iphone marks the beginning of like a new era of personal computing and it's very it just seems so clear in hindsight that there's pre iphone and post iphone and that is just it it's every bit as big a deal as like the mac was for for computing um and in the post iPhone world, the, to me, the greatest tragedy is that Palm didn't make it because they were doing such interesting stuff with their user interface. I mean, and D- Dieter never misses an opportunity. That's right. <laughs> to point out how many of the things that the new features of like the iPhone 10 with the swipe up from bottom to go to a card view of running apps and <laughs> all sorts of things that Palm's web OS was doing in like 2008, 2009. Seriously. It was. They deserved was. so many kudos, and it was a super attractive OS. It looked great. It was really, really well done. And I know that there were a bunch of ex Apple people uh, at Palm, and it. It. I always said like the the Palm Pre, you could easily have gone back if, if you took like a 2008 Palm Pre, and went back ten years to like 1997 in time and said, showed it to people and said, this is, you know, covered up the logos and said, this is Apple's cell phone from 10 years ago. Everybody would say, Oh yeah, definitely. Oh my God, that's amazing. I can't wait to get it. And you could totally sell it as the Apple phone from 10 years in the future. Just in terms of the, the system design and, and what it looked like, it, it just was so copacetic curved corners. With, yep. Curve corners. Um, uh, it just, you know, if, if you like Apple stuff, it was hard not to like the palm stuff. And if anything, it was almost more of a classic pre Steve Jobs Apple look and feel than the post Steve Jobs look and feel. There was, you know, it was almost more like the classic Apple, which I loved. And, and in many ways, you know, it, it, you know, I was just looking, somebody actually reported a typo on during, over the weekend. Somebody reported a typo from October 11th, 2002 on Daring Fireball. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, so I said, what was it them, about? Uh, it was just, I missed the word a, uh, it oh. was just like this. I, I don't, it was like this, this should have, should, should have said like, this is a big deal. And it just said, this is big deal or something like that. So I fixed it and, and, you know, said to them, you know, you've, you've just broken a record for oldest typo ever. Cause I, I only started the site in August, 2002. So it was like 10 weeks, 10 weeks into daring fireball. And I just fixed it now. Um, <laughs> But I remember I just and then it sucked me into like reading old 2002 Daring Fireball articles and like a big theme back then was all the various ways that Mac OS 10 was crummy compared to Mac OS 9. And and to me, the Palm Pre sort of nice. had that that Mac OS 9 n- niceness in terms of mm-hmm. no, no weird fiddly uh, things. I don't know. It's a sad story. And now they've for me, I think eight five for me was the uh, the pinnacle the one closest to my heart. But yeah, yeah probably for <laughs> me have, too. Could have just been the point of my life that I was at. I don't know. 
I don't. I also have a soft spot for System Seven Point Five. I thought Seven Point oh, yeah. Five was a, was a really sweet one. Although it's <laughs> it was the current version for so long that maybe <laughs> maybe it was it was like Stockholm syndrome. Seven Point Five was like true. Seven Point Five was the classic Mac OS that was like. Uh, at the time when Apple was flailing with these, uh, eventually f- all these efforts for quote unquote next generation OSs that never, never really even came close to seeing the light of day. And so therefore it just, <laughs> just sort of sat around as the current version of Mac OS for a long time. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Apple watch <laughs> series four. Well, so to me, the most interesting thing I've seen. Well, so and you you posted the good links to the nine to five Mac story on making the infograph face yes more more useful. And I've got a couple of those utility apps that I had never heard of before, which is kind of cool. Um, but to me, the most exciting thing are is just this idea of the of the UI playground that is the Apple Watch face. Now that there's enough space to yeah poke around and um you know this steve was it steve trouton smith is that how yeah. you say his name yeah so i'll put a link to this in the show notes I, I think i've got it already yeah but steve trouton smith who is hacker extraordinaire he's one of the you know you know his name he's one of the guys who you know sometimes finds <laughs> finds things in, in <laughs> beta os releases of ios that reveal uh upcoming hardware products and stuff like that. He's also a very, very talented programmer. But he's been on a kick since, if anybody is, by the time you listen to this, he'll he'll be maybe closer to a week. But for the last maybe half a week or so, he's been... A recurring theme with Apple Watch is how come they don't allow third-party watch faces? There's apps... And then you can your app can provide complications that fit in these you know predefined okay there's a corner complication uh, you know monochrome you know for the certain watch face and then there's a corner complication on the utility face that is color and you, you provide you know you get to use these APIs to make a complication f- for your app that provides data that fits in these little complication areas that are predefined by apple but you don't get nobody's allowed to, or nobody but apple is allowed to make watch faces um and you know that's been a source of controversy or debate ever since the apple watch shipped is what is, what is apple thinking in this regard are they re, is it something they haven't gotten around to yet is it something they're on the fence over or are they like hell no we're never going to let people make watch faces um and if so why not but so rather than just talk about it stephen Trouton smith <laughs> just <laughs> started making them and it's not even like a hack it's not really a watch face what he's done is he's making apps and then he turn on the setting in apple watch i think you have i don't know if you can do it on the watch itself or if you have to use the the phone app but there's a setting for uh last used app and it's like i think by default it'll you know like when you raise your wrist does it show you your watch face or does it show you the last app you were using and i think by default it's like after two minutes it goes back to your watch face so, like, if you're using, uh, I know, a weather app or something like that on your wrist and you tap around, you don't have to, like, quit it or go back to home. You can just lower your wrist and go about your day. And five minutes later, when you go to check the time, it just goes back to your watch face. But what he's done is set it so that it always goes back to your last running watch or app. And he's made these apps that look like watch faces and so every time he raises his wrist, it just shows his custom app that shows a watch face. And he's literally, 
I, 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 you're going to think I'm making this up, but he's, he's made like a system where he can generate, he's got like a bunch of, uh, uh options for like color schemes and, and dial schemes. And he's generated like 65,000 of these things algorithmically, like by randomizing the colors <laughs> and the options. And most of them look re- really cool. It's, it is amazing. It is super cool. It, I'll put a link in, and if you haven't looked at these things, it is really, really cool. He's got this. One of the options he has is something that sort of emulates the um, very clever. I've never seen anything like it, just because it, it could only happen on a digital face. But the the Hermes watch faces for Series Four have an option where the half the screen is one color, and the other half is the other color, and the dividing line between them is based on the minute hand of the watch. So as time changes, the color scheme slowly changes over the course of 60 minutes. So he's replicated that and has literally like I think, I thousands. think that's how this started. Yeah. Like, he was just trying to clone that maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but it's he's, it's really, it's awesome. really cool. I love it. Yeah. And the other thing he's doing, they do look plausible because the one thing about Apple Watch faces – branding wise and we're talking about analog style ones ones with an hour hand and a minute hand um the one thing all apple watch faces to date share in common is they use the exact same style of hands which i've actually i've actually asked around when i I was on the hodinky podcast a couple weeks ago talking about apple watch and i actually asked uh because those guys know more about watches than anybody i asked if there was a name for this style of hand like there's all sorts of watch lingo for like different style of hands like there's some that are called like fence post hands because they're like straight and then they have like a triangle at the end. Think about like a like a traditional Americana fence, you know, a picket fence. There's sword hands, like certain kind of hands that look sort of like a like a sword. But this style of hands doesn't really have a name. Uh, it's used uh, – a couple of high-end watchmakers use hands like this. But everybody knows the look. It's sort of like a capsule with a little skinny thing at the end to connect it to the center. You know, like an oval, these oval-shaped hands. He's Stephen Trotton Smith's faces use Apple Watch's hands. Like he's somehow genius that he is. Fished out, he figured out where on the Apple Watch OS the hands are stored, and so he's he's not like replicating their hands. He's using uh, Apple's hands. I didn't realize that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And then I actually play this very small role in this. I actually because I know him and I, I pinged him over the weekend. Is uh, his first ones. The, the proportions were slightly off, like his second hand stuck out over the, you know, like on the, uh, if you have a round watch and uh, Apple watch and there's little tick marks to mark the seconds, a bunch of the faces have them. The second hand should be exactly the, the radius of those mm. tick marks so that the tip of the second hand exactly touches the tick marks as it goes around. His, right. his hands were a little bit too small and I, I helped him with a little bit of proportion sizing on that. It's just the sort of thing you don't really notice. But then once he fixed it, he was like, holy crap, that looks so much better. It's, it's exactly right. But these are amazing. So the bigger question, question then is, is this the kind of thing that Apple ever opens up or is that, you know, on purpose? Yeah, I don't think they will. I, I think that they don't. And I think it is definitely on purpose for a couple of reasons. And I don't, it's not going to make Apple watch users happy to hear me say that, but I don't think it'll ever happen. What do you think? I, I can give you what I think the reasons are. Yeah. What do you think they are? I think one, they don't want people to make ugly watch faces. And if they opened it up 
for, you know, it, it, it's, there's pros and cons to opening it up because some of them would obviously be beautiful. I mean, we can see from Stephen Trout and Smith's work that some of them are really beautiful. Um, and it would be so much more, so much greater variety in choices, but a lot of them, most of them would be ugly. And I don't think they want to allow that. Um, I actually, I, I kind of know that the one watch face that is on Apple Watch that they are deeply ambivalent about is the photos face, the one that lets you pick a photo of your own to put on a watch. And the reason they're sort of like, uh, is that a lot of people's pictures they put up on their watch are ugly <laughs> and they don't like it. But yep. they kind of knew like, that's just the one thing that the, the story I heard is that knowing how people set their wallpapers on their phone and stuff like that, and how many people want to have a picture of their kids or their spouse or their dog. And you know, that's what they've done. It's what it's the wallpaper on their computer. It's the wallpaper on their phone. It's, you know, it's just what people do. Um, and so they're like, ah, oh, we got to do it. We got to let people put a picture of their kids on their watch if that's really what they want to do. But that's the one face that, that can be ugly. Otherwise, and, and as many gripes as, as we've all had, Marco Arment had a great story this week talking about the, why all of – effectively, he, was talk, he started talking about Infograph. Like you said, like with the 9 to 5 article, it was sort of like, hey, Infograph is overwhelming by default. But if you turn everything off and then just slowly start adding stuff back, you can kind of keep it sane. But ultimately, I'm very happy with how I have mine set up right now. Marco makes a very convincing argument that all of the analog faces for Apple Watch are dissatisfying in some way. Um, yeah. And, you know, you could solve that if you could open it up to third parties. But I don't think Apple wants to do that because I, they don't want to allow ugly watch faces. Um, and I think the second reason is it, it, it's probably even going to be even less popular among people who are hoping to see custom watch faces on Apple watch is I, I think marketing wise, it's a huge, they, they see it as a huge advantage that Nike and Hermes watches have watch faces that other watches don't have. And yeah, they, that is true. You know, and, and some people have said, Oh, it'll be a copyright nightmare because somebody's going to make a knockoff Rolex watch face and then Rolex will sue Apple and stuff like that. Like, I don't think copyright's the issue because it's like people could make a fake Rolex uh, watch face for the phone. I mean, you could do anything on the phone. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think the watch is special in that regard. But I just, but I do think though that like the, they don't want people like Stephen Trout and Smith making these watches that give you the Hermes look and feel, uh, without spending the money on an Hermes watch. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Like the, the copyright stuff, you know, every once in a while you see something in the app store, that's a clear copyright violation, but it seems to police itself pretty well. Like the yeah. app store is not terrible yeah. in terms of, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm in hindsight. I mean, if, if you look for it, sure. You'll find stuff wherever, but yeah, it's not, you know the way that things work is the what rises up. If you search, I'm sure you can find Disney knockoffs or whatever. But it's not like it; those things can't become very popular before they get taken down. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess Mickey, the question the, is the Mickey Mouse face is another good example of that, where there's obviously some kind of financial arrangement between Apple and Disney for the Mickey Mouse and the Pixar one, and they're. You know, they, I think, I think they enjoy, I don't know who's paying. I don't even know who's paying whom there. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like who is paying? Is, is Apple paying Disney or is Disney paying Apple? I, I, I honestly, that's an excellent question. I don't know, but I, I don't, I feel like they don't want, 
they don't want Universal making one for uh, the Minions without Apple's involvement. Just, you know, here you go. Here's your Minions watch face. You know, they like having that control. So I don't think it's going to happen. What to, I, me the, to me, the argument would be out of functionality's sake. Um, you know, now that, now that this watch face is basically becoming the equivalent of the uh, panic uh, activity monitor screen or yeah. whatever that, you know. Yeah. The, it, status board. Status board, yeah. Uh, I guess the infograph and the digital infograph provide enough of a canvas that – you know, you're, you're more limited by what Apple allows you to do functionally than by how it looks necessarily, or how it's laid out. Um, but I could see I could see a world of different possibilities of different configurations and you know features that a built-in watch face would, ne- would never really support out of the box that could be potentially useful or interesting. Um, but it's and it's it's been interesting to see over the years what they allow you to customize and what they yeah. don't. Um, like on the iPhone, you know, first you couldn't even set the background. Now you can, <laughs> so you can make your phone as ugly as you want it to. Right. Um, but you still can't conf- custom configure icons. Uh, Apple is still the only. I mean, sort of like B- Major League Baseball app will let you change the the icon to your, your favorite, favorite team. team. Right. But I believe Apple is still the only calendar app that has the correct date right and in and, their in their icon right and the way that their uh their clock app has a actual moving second hand yeah and is that just phone. you know is that just a battery and cpu consideration or do they just not want to see a home you know the way that twitter stopped letting you use an animation as your right, avatar right. <laughs> do they just not want to imagine a world where every app icon is moving right. all the time right um <laughs> so I could see them being you – know, I could see a case where – obviously, they haven't gotten to it yet. There's There seems to be not much – like they, they definitely seem to be aware how useful the watch face is. Like it is clearly the most useful screen. Yeah. Um, so they, they're on to that. As to whether or not they let you as the – you know, as a developer decide how the things are laid out or, or the size or the – the functionality of them you're right it probably seems that seems like two or three steps beyond where we're going so yeah i and again i don't mean to be a debbie downer here on this i just don't think they want to do it and and if i like as an outsider somebody who just is a a customer and has an apple watch i kind of wish they would allow it because i would I am vaguely dissatisfied with every single Apple watch face. And I feel like if third party developers could, could make their own, I could get one that I, that I think is perfect. Um, and so me as a user kind of wishes they would open it. But if I worked at Apple and I w- it was my decision to make whether Apple watch would open to third parties, I I'd, I'd probably say no, because I would selfishly, I would enjoy the, the fact that we have complete control over the watch faces. And I do think that it's because Apple sort of sees itself as a quote unquote real watchmaker, you know, that they, that they treat the watch a little differently than they treat other devices. And they're a little bit more protective of what it looks like that they see the look of the, every single watch face that they provide is like, they think that this is copacetic with the Apple watch brand. And once, if they opened it up to all third parties, that they'd lose that. 
So I th- maybe the best case scenario, and I, I know Stephen Trouton Smith even said this on Twitter at some point over this thread, is that what he you know what he hopes would be like a middle ground where instead of like the app store where there's 10,000, 10, 10, 20,000 developers and are all submitting watch faces, if Apple just picked a limit, hand-selected limited third parties to be able to bless them with the ability to provide third-party faces, that that's an interesting middle ground. And <laughs> Stephen said that he'd be happy with that because if, they ha- if, if that was even possible technically, he could hack it and make his own. <laughs> <laughs> like he all he needs is for them to yeah. allow it in gen it, it, at all and then he could just make his own watch faces and it'd be fine for him that's <laughs> which, funny it's cracked it cracked me up really so that's i could great. i could see them doing that but i don't know you know i i also thought there would be more um partners in the way that nike and Hermes are partners by now. Yeah, I did too. I'm actually a little surprised how few official band partnerships there are and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Maybe they're keeping it tighter than than before. But I also would not be shocked if next year WatchOS – what is it? Five, six? Six will be next year. Has face kit or something like that. And even Uh, if it's limited in certain ways, like, for example, I would would be shocked if they didn't – if you make an analog face, I'm – I'm nearly certain they would force you to use their hands. Like their hands are the brand way more than, you know, typically typography is how you establish a brand, but like the Nike watch watch faces use Nike's font, Futura condensed uh, bold. And they look very, very Nike, but they use Apple's hands. And it's an inner, mm-hmm. it's just very, very interesting to me. Uh, and I even talked to someone at Apple, you know, uh, on the watch team who even talked about it, that, they were super. They they love the Hermes partnership and the Nike partnership, and they're even inside the Apple Watch design team. They're just blown away by how and so happy with the way that these like the Nike faces can look both Nike and Apple Watchy at the same time, and that the Hermes faces look so Hermesy, uh, you know, with their distinctive, weird but very distinctive typefaces that they use for the numerals, and yet because of those hands, it still looks very Apple Watchy. You know, yeah. So, so I don't know. I I'm, I wouldn't hold my breath on this, but it is this this exercise that people are doing, uh, making these apps that just act like watch faces is fascinating to watch, and it's just funny the way it just burst onto the scene. And now, if you look on Twitter and look at like Stephen Trout Smith's replies, David underscore Smith is making some too. He made nice. one. That, did you see the one he made? It was <laughs> no, <laughs> it but I'm like, no. Well, a he made one that uses Roman numerals, like tells like a digital watch that uses Roman numerals, <laughs> and it just seemed like it was meant <laughs> just to, for you, just for me. <laughs> I, t- I tweeted at him. I said, you should be arrested. For this. <laughs> uh, but he also made one that looks like the classic going, uh, talking about classic Mac OS that looks like the classic Mac OS uh, stopwatch cursor. Ooh. It's just this super fat 32 by 32 pixel grid of black pixels on a oh, white background. Oh, nice. Ooh, I like that. Uh, super cool. Yep. I like that. Yeah. And so, I mean, hey, look, this is one of those situations where like, you know, the 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 community could inspire Apple to change their change yeah. their approach. You know, if, if they see the the UI, I hate to steal your term for I don't know what Twitter apps. The UI playground right, right now is uh, is in watch faces. So maybe maybe they'll see them and and go crap. You know, I guess yeah. we got to figure something out. Uh, Ken Kashenda, who has that the book that just came out recently, the uh, you know uh, oh, yeah. creative selection, which is a great book. Uh, but he even tweeted, and more or less in favor of allowing third-party watch 
faces, which is that the story isn't that much different than it is with apps with the phone. You know, you get your brand new Apple iPhone and you open it up and every single app that is there is from Apple and it all meets Apple standards for how apps should look on an iPhone and that's it. And then, you know, if you want to go get third-party apps and you think that's there's ugly apps, but you want to use them, that's up to you. But out of, you know, and it's it'd be the same way with the watch face. We're here. We give you, you know, 15 or 16 of these watch faces and they have a bunch of configurations and they're all approved by us. But if you want to go outside that box and start downloading third-party ones, that's up to you. We'll ship you a watch that meets, that we're happy with every, every single watch face, but we'll, you know, why not let people do it? Yeah, in the meantime, there is the complications themselves are are it's tricky. It's not really this discoverability is pretty bad actually of good complications, which is why that nine to five Mac article was so useful. Yeah. And really, there could be a whole micro website of just yeah. cool iPhone or Apple Watch complications, but it's a start. Yeah. Uh, what watch face are you using? I have Infograph right now. Uh, I'm going to admit to something embarrassing. I still have a hard time figuring out what time it is with just the hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually very common, though. That's actually not uh, unusual. I, I'm, I, I get that because I remember as a kid, uh, my grandparents had a clock in their kitchen that didn't have numbers. And I, I was like, mind blown. How does anybody know what t- time it is? I was right. like, I was very proud of myself that I was able to tell time. I, I feel like I was, I could tell time on a, on a clock at a, a fairly early age. And I, you know, it seemed like an accomplishment. And then I'd go to my grandparents' house and I'd be like, <laughs> I have no idea what time it is. I've none at all. Like without the numbers, I had no idea. But and, uh, it, in school we had the, you know, the, the round clock, but it had yeah. the numbers on it. Right. And, right. That um, classic, and a lot the of classic these... school clock. Yeah, and a lot of these faces just don't have it. By the way, I just noticed that the iPhone SIM tool looks exactly like the uh, watch. Oh, it does. Hand, interesting. All right, good huh. to know. That is interesting. Um, so I'm using Info Infograph. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, and I have the middle. I still have the little calendar thing in the middle. I, I, I turned off the white background. I don't know why yeah. that's the default. That's terrible. It uh, is terrible. I, I, that is baffling to me. And it's so funny that it's the default, but Apple's all of their product marketing shots show it with the black. Yeah, like I don't. The, I don't get it. I, um, I don't. I don't get that either. I almost feel like there must have been an argument inside the company, and somebody won the argument and got the white one as the front face, and the product marketing people were like, well, we lost that yeah. argument, but we're still, we're still not yeah. putting it on the box, and we're not putting it on the billboards, and we're not showing it in the commercials. Uh, imagine the meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I have most of the stuff turned off. Um, however, so I can t- – and there is an option to make the center – a digital time yeah but the curse it's with the second it's not just the minute it's the seconds and the colons blink yeah and that i'm not into that it, <laughs> it, was, it was too flashy uh too blinky it made me feel like there was a blink tag on a website i, appre- um, I appreciate though that you're because it, it, it's true though once you start fiddling with it the little just the littlest thing like a blinking colon will drive you nuts on a watch like list. i would actually pay five bucks for a cup for a watch app that has a complication that has a non-blinking or configurable <laughs> digital clock um in the meantime i'm using the the uh world clock in the lower right corner with new york city and so i can see what 
the other thing is my sleeve usually covers my watch. So if I just creep the sleeve open over the right corner, I can catch the time without Mm -hmm. having to unsheath the whole watch, which is kind of a a nice little thing. I used to use the um, color face on the old ones. Yes. uh, And that was the one – I had that similar setup where I could just peek out the – kind of the far corner of the watch and see what time it is without having to pull my whole arm out of my sleeve. Um, and then, you know, pretty simple. I still have the calendar thing on. I kind of like it. I kind of hate it. I don't really like the, the, uh, showing your next appointment thing. It's sort of useful when I'm at the office and I want to see like what conference room I'm supposed to be in next, but it also is stressful, so I might yeah. lose that at some point. I, I think that replacing like the 10, 11, 12, 1, 2 hour tick marks with the text right along the outer rim is clever, but it's like too clever for me. I'm like, yeah, I, I got tired of that after a day. I was like, that's that's too much. Yeah, I might lose that. Uh, otherwise, I have, the, I love the new weather thing um, where it shows you the range of temperature for the day absolutely I, I do miss the on the on the on the on the three i used uh the explorer face because it would show you the cellular signal right i do miss having a good description of the actual weather whether it's you know raining or yeah or not um some third i don't know i imagine like dark sky will do that but i had trouble getting that to work so i don't know yeah if you haven't tried uh, it yet an app that i would really recommend is carrot weather c-a-r you know like like what bugs bunny eats. oh i haven't tried that carrot weather is sort of a it's very hard to describe but it's a very it's sort of a sarcastic weather app and you can dial <laughs> up uh, like it's not really the sarcasm thing i probably would have really loved when i was like a teenager and it seems a little too cute by far now but it's a great, it is also a great weather app if you like turn off the um uh, thing that makes it talk to you sarcastically um but the the complications it offers are tremendous. It, it, the watch stuff, this it, it's just oh my god, it's it's really fantastic. So like one the, the nine to five Mac guy had the humidity on his uh, infograph. That's he oh, got nice. that he got that from Carrot, and it does the same thing as the weather, where it gives you the range for the day. Oh, cool. So if anybody's looking for some cool weather oriented watch complications, check out Carrot. It's like a, I think it's a. F- I think it's a free app and you have Looks to pay like it's five bucks. You pay five bucks a year for a subscription to unlock all the watch stuff. It's a great five bucks. Jesus. Just go yeah. Buy it. It's really great. And it gives you so many options. You go to your phone and it's just like, Oh my God, you can set it up so that it's like, um, you, so you can have two of them and it's like on infograph. And if it's the lower left corner, it's humidity. And if it's the lower right corner, it's something else. So oh, you can, cool. you can, go, it, you can specify it to like the utmost. If you want to fiddle around with it, which of course I do. Yeah. And to me, like this is now inspiring a lot of ideas. Like, could I do a a chart beat complication that shows the traffic on recode for the day or something like that? Like, you know, how, how, how many of these little, and remember like spark lines that were a thing for, for five minutes, like how many spark lines could I configure on this thing? And that could be really interesting. So. I'm I'm just getting started with that, and I, I really love the possibilities yeah. that it's that it yeah. allows. And it is funny. It's funny how many ways you can configure. Just the the you know we're talking about wanting thousands of third party watch faces, but it's it's funny how much time you can spend. Especially to me, it just seems like on Series Four with the infograph stuff, it's like you can really just sink ninety minutes into screwing around with your watch faces easily. 
And some of them have like, <laughs> like 40 different colors to choose from. Yeah. Yep. There's like 18 different shades of blue. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I don't it's, mind that, but it is, you, you end up, you, you do kind of end up scrolling with the digital crown an awful lot to, to go through every single color combination. I think they're trying to match every band they've ever shipped or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like, and, and it's like, they may only be selling 20 bands right now, but they have like color options from, you know, the spring 2017 collection. Yeah. Yeah. All right, here, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor before uh, we get any further. But it's, it's our good friends at Trace Pontas. Trace Pontas sells freshly roasted gourmet coffee, and it is shipped directly to you. Their coffee beans are roasted to order, your order, and they are shipped out immediately. So it's not like they roast coffee, put it on a shelf, and then it sits there for who knows how many days or a week or two weeks or whatever. They're roasting coffee every day. You place an order, you get freshly roasted coffee, and it goes right to you. And it, it makes a big difference. Coffee is a perishable item. I'm telling you. And, and it's like you can have weeks-old coffee beans, and it's not like it's undrinkable, but it isn't like having freshly roasted coffee. Um Trace Pontas coffee is all, it's named after the mountain range in Brazil and the race family, R E I S has owned this family for generations. Uh, and they've been making this coffee for over a hundred years, a hundred years, three generations, this family, but for the most part, most of that time, they've only been selling it in Brazil. Now they have Trace Pontas and they sell this coffee all around the United States and it's great. And so what you can do, you can go to tracepontas.com, order some coffee, that's fine. You can also go to Amazon and they encourage you to do it if you want to and buy it at Amazon. Just search for T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S. And it's just a storefront for them. So when you buy Trace Pontas coffee at Amazon, you, it's not, again, not sitting on a shelf in a warehouse at Amazon for weeks and weeks. Trace Pontas still does the fulfillment. So the coffee you get buying it on Amazon is just as fresh and shipped right from the same place as when you buy it directly from Trace Pontas. It's just easier because, you know, you got the one click. Uh, and they encourage you to do it. Uh, it's really good coffee. So you can try some, buy some, get it, see if you like it. Uh, and that's great. Just like buying regular coffee. But the other thing you can do is you can get a subscription. You can get a weekly subscription, a two week subscription, get it every four weeks. It's your choice. You can change it at any time. Uh, and when you sign up for one of these coffee subscriptions, you save 10% off every bag of coffee compared to buying it bag to bag. Uh, and listeners of the talk show, Get an extra 10% off by using the code THE TALK SHOW, all one word, THE TALK SHOW at checkout at the Trace Pontas website when you buy a coffee subscription. So you automatically save 10% just by buying a subscription. You save another 10% by using that code. You're saving 20% off your subscription. And then the coffee just shows up at your house every day. I wish I had some right now. I drank it all before we started recording. Uh, enter that code at checkout, THE TALK SHOW at tracepontas.com. My thanks to them for making excellent coffee and for sponsoring this podcast. Oh, anything else on the watch? The only other thing I had on the list to talk about was the, the big hack, which I don't... Yeah, why don't we... Why don't we, uh, why don't we do that? Yeah, I haven't done a show since this big hack thing came out, and I guess... Uh, well, uh, sorry, I do have one more thing on the all watch. All right, all right. We'll I just, just want, get it out I, of the way. Let, yeah. I gotta say, it... This idea that the the cellular, you know, having having LTE on your watch will let you leave your phone behind. Um, the first year of that, it didn't really work for me because I'd go walk the dog and 
realized three minutes in that, oh, it's actually kind of boring to not have your phone with you. <laughs> like, oh, it would, it would be nice to have Instagram with me right now. Um, but there's, there's now that you can do podcasts and it just feels like watch like the new series four is fast enough that yeah. you, you really do have a responsive device on you and not every app works. Like, I don't know, half the time the Uber app doesn't look like it's working. I don't know if it's going to work now or not, but it feels like we're finally getting to a place, you know, several years in now where this is a compelling device that is not going to replace your phone, but it's certainly part of the whatever the, you know, the quote unquote, I hate, this is kind of a silly jargon term, but like the personal cloud of whatever you're going to have in the future, whether it is your watch and your glasses or your watch and your AirPods and some other sensors, like this is definitely, we're getting to a place where you can see the shifts happening yeah. and um, it, it's a remarkable combination with AirPods. Yeah, it, it, it really does feel that, and and it, to me, it's exactly what you said. It's with this WatchOS five, maybe I, I I still have my personal Apple Watch is still a Series three, and I I I don't know how much is Series Series four definitely feels faster, you know, but my Series three still works just as well, and so I think it's mostly WatchOS five and a, a somewhat recent Apple Watch, whether it's this year's new one or last year's. Um, but yeah, the performance is there. You, I no longer, and again, maybe it goes app by app. I I actually don't think I even have the Uber app on my watch. But like with Overcast, like it never happens anymore. Well, I'll go to launch Overcast and I get a spinner and it just spins and spins. And it's not like Overcast fault. It's like the system is just like uh, the, I don't know. You know, that just doesn't happen anymore. It just launches and you hit play and it just pumps through your AirPods right away. And it just feels, it does feel like the future. And you, you know, I, I, you go for a run, you, you start the Nike app, you start your run, you play a podcast, you change a podcast, you use Siri to download an, or stream a new podcast over the air, you get back, you stop your run and nothing is lost. Like right. it hasn't accidentally knocked you offline yeah. or, or, and you know, and, and your battery still has the, the whole day's charge left. Yeah. So I don't know it, it just feels like we're getting somewhere with this and it's gratifying. Yeah. The one thing I sometimes miss is, uh, not having a camera because it just seems it's like sort of like the Murphy's law type thing. Like, you know, the way that if you drop buttered toast, it's always going to land butter side down. It just feels like if I go for a run, something interesting is going to happen that I want to take a photo of. <laughs> that did happen to me yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, I wish I had a camera. And then if I take my phone with me, nothing happens as absolutely yeah. nothing of interest. <laughs> I don't spot any interesting things to take a photo of, but as soon as I leave without my iPhone, there's some ridiculous scene or something that I wish I could take a picture of. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's coming. Yeah. I just form factor wise. It seems really difficult it to just get feels weird. Yeah. But... All right. All right. The big hack, the big hack. So that's, that's Bloomberg's truly blockbuster story. Uh, alleging that, uh, these servers from a company, what was the name? I, who, uh, Sema, I don't know. Elemental technologies. And that, and they're, they're using, they make the servers and they're, they're, they've right. Farmed Sem- super micro, super micro, which sounds like such a made up, <laughs> sounds like yeah. such a made up name. Well, it sounds like it was made up in 1987, which it probably right. was. Right. I always thought Microsoft sounded like a made up name, right? Like Microsoft was such a, like a typical, uh, just a typical, uh, 1979 company name yeah. right, in our industry. But 
super micro uh makes these boards and according to bloomberg was shipping uh you know somehow the the the, the supply chain got compromised and the chinese uh, the the government got them to put these tiny little grain of rice size chips on the motherboard that that enabled all these superpowers where they could phone home and then they could effectively backdoor all these servers that were used in Amazon, in Amazon and Apple's data centers. And then the, re- then the story got really weird because Apple and Amazon both said adamantly, no, this didn't happen. We've been telling them, we've been working with them on this story for over a year and we've been telling them this didn't happen. We don't know of any incident like this. And it's very, very strange. Um, and nobody really knows what to make of it. The cynics, the people who are cynical about companies like Apple and Amazon are, you know, and I, I get it, but they're, 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 they, I've seen so many people read Apple's and Amazon statement and try to find loopholes and be like, well, here they say, you know, A, B and C, but they don't say D. So maybe that's, you know, that's their little wiggle room. But I, I don't think that's the case. Like if it turns out that this story is true or mostly true, that it's fundamentally true, Apple and Amazon look terrible because they denied it, you know, and they even said things like, and we're not under a gag order because of the, yeah, right. That was the one thing where I was like, (laughs) no, we're not under a gag order. And they just denied it in a way that they never deny anything. Right. They, they put posts on their websites right. and you know they just they i i've never seen them deny anything yeah. on the record in public like that right. before right um uh, and it, i mean and i think it, the situation calls for it like they're basically not only are they being accused of you know being compromised but in a way that you know makes it seem like they could be compromised again like you know right. they this right. thing got snuck in, in under their right. under their watch and yeah. You know, and they're and they're dummies, and they won't. You know, and they fell for it, and and whatever. Um, but I've never seen them deny it. Now, the, to me, the one thing is like, and, and it's kind of strange because they they were like, oh, more than thirty companies were affected by this, but I haven't seen much about any other companies. No. And nobody since then, right? And and nobody has come up with. It's been a couple of weeks now, and nobody independent security researcher has gotten their hands on one of these and said, "Aha, here's the chip." And and right. part of what makes it, I I think there's some egg, no matter what, on Bloomberg's face because I think it was journalistic a journalistic crime to illustrate the story the way they did with they have uh like the cover of the the magazine that it shipped in had a fingertip with a little tiny chip on it and it makes it seem as though that's the chip and then there's pictures of a motherboard and they show a little tiny chip on it but that's it's all just uh, like hypothetical Fan- right yeah fantasy like, basically right like these but every so many people reasonably and reasonably so came away thinking oh they even have a picture of one of these compromised motherboards with the chip on it but that's not it's just like this is what it could look like you know it, it's very strange that and and to me it's very telling that nobody has come up with one yet because they're even you know they even said 30 companies were hit the 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 company was selling thousands of these servers so they're out there and apparently according to the story they didn't even the, the FBI didn't even tell everybody who was involved <laughs> like like they they cuz they didn't want to you know it was an American you know that that according to Bloomberg part of the story was that this elemental and super micro are american companies and they didn't want to cause irreparable harm to their reputations or something 
I, I don't know. It's all, but it's very, very telling to me that nobody has come up with, aha, here I'm, you know, cause some independent, if some independent security researcher could come up and say, here, I found the chip on, on this board that, you know, this company who, you know, hired me, you know, I, I found it. Uh, and a lot, you know, a lot of people have made the case that, that what they're saying they did maybe is technically possible, but it would be like the hardest possible way to do this. <laughs> And that companies like Apple and Amazon really do things like photograph and, and their motherboards that come in and make sure that there's no funny business on them. Like it would be so much harder to detect if they did something like this in firmware, meaning the software that runs on an embedded chip so that the motherboard, Uh, right? So like you've got an uncompromised motherboard and I've got a compromised one, but they're physically the same. The only difference is mine has bad firmware and yours has the right firmware. You know, that would be a much harder to detect way to do it and would be easier. I would think. It's just super weird. The, the, cause the story quotes three quote unquote, Apple insiders who, you know, that is one of the official. It's, it's very curious that they quote, quote unquote, Apple insiders, but that is also a very weird way to say it. Are they employees or are they some, you know, who are these people? Who are their sources at Apple? <laughs> Do they blog for appleinsider.com? Right. No. It's very strange. Um, so my, yeah. I have a theory about what is actually going on. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Well, my theory is that it is effectively just part of, uh, what's the word? Agitprop, A-G-I-T-P-R-O-P. It's just propaganda from the the Trump executive branch who are trying to stoke the flames of the Chinese trade war, which is actually underway. It's not like, it's not like a conspiracy theory to say that the U S is trying to engage in a trade war with China. They, you know, they say it, (laughs) they come out and say, yes, we're having, we would like to start a trade war with China and making China look bad and making it look like China is hurting good U S companies like Apple and Amazon all fits in the narrative that, that, that the Trump administration is trying to provide. So I don't think, I, I really don't, like people have asked me, like, do you think these Bloomberg reporters made the whole thing up? I mean, are they committing fraud? No, I don't think so. I mean, Bloomberg's a, a super reputable publication. I'm sure they did talk to national security officials and that the national security officials told them these things or or said, yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Because then there was like a podcast that the one guy who was a named source came out on last week and said that he was talking to the Bloomberg report. He doesn't know anything about the specifics of this case. He was just giving them background information on what might be possible in a hardware hack. And then the story, like everything he said that they might do, like the story says they did do. And he was like, that's either I'm really prescient or something weird's going on here. So mm-hmm. I think it was sort of like they got information from national security people who were just trying to get that story in the press that China is screwing around with Apple and Amazon and other companies' servers and bad China. Um, and didn't really give them specifics and they tried to get specifics and then they got like some hypothetical things, ran it by them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Sure. Whatever. Cause they just wanted the story out there. That's my theory. And I, I, to me, everything that's happened since fits with that. And knowing, and this is the one thing I was thinking, like there's, there's basically no situation in which Apple can publicly badmouth China, either, right? Because that, and that is stokes the cynicism of people. You know, you know that's why people are so cynical about Apple's reply. Is well, of course Apple's going to say it didn't happen because they can't piss off China. Yeah, not, you know, not only as a place where a lot of people buy phones, but also with everything they 
they have is made. Like if if for some reason Apple had to stop doing business in China, there would be no more Apple at right. least for a long time. Right, it would be so, devastating to Apple. Yeah, right, would, like yeah. Apple, it's probably the single biggest danger Apple faces, or certainly uniquely to Apple. You know that that, that you know you know the Chinese government is an authoritarian communist regime that can really do whatever they want at any moment. You know, yeah. so. It's it's truly at this point an existential threat to Apple because you know at least you know maybe not existential but it, it would be devastating, well, it would be profoundly devastating. Like right. they would have to figure out how to move everything to Brazil, India, where you know in right. in a matter of days. Right. Uh, not going not which is probably impossible or right. at least super hard. Or it would take uh, years years to rebuild years yeah. and years years and billions and billions of investment you know it would be very difficult but uh, so it's interesting how strongly they denied it while also you know not saying anything remotely bad about chinese right. government or anything like right. that um it just it's it's weirdly specific about certain things right. that either like are pure fantasy or had to have happened or I mean, I guess there's a middle ground, um, but it just seems very weirdly specific about certain things. It's interesting to me that none of these bylines are, I don't think, from their tech desk either. No, like, I think no. this is the DC desk or yeah. something like that. Yeah, um, I think so too. <laughs> I don't know if the tech editors were involved in editing. I, I, it's been, I haven't been to a good uh, New York media cocktail uh, party in a, <laughs> in a little while. So I don't have the gossip on like who actually edited this. Right. But, you know, you know still, Business Week is you right. know, arguably one of the highest standard publications that exists. So they're not – I would be really surprised if they kind of flubbed the – I, I don't know if they have fact checkers, but if they flubbed the, I, the I just, on I it, just but. think it all comes down to that they took they they bought a bill of goods from these national security sources whose goal was specifically just to fan the flames of a trade war. So yeah. they've got sources who told them the things they're saying sources told them, but I think the sources are the ones who were full of shit or exaggerating yeah, yeah. or or gate were were vague up front, and then when asked, could it have been like this? That they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, yeah. You know, they just wanted to see the story in print because it makes China look bad. Anybody, terrible, yeah. anybody who believes the story, it makes China look absolutely terrible. And of course, China's official statement was so cryptic. <laughs> it was <laughs> like they didn't do themselves any favors by <laughs> by issuing a statement that that was sort of a non denial denial. Like, who knows what's going on in cyberspace? I think the Chinese statement literally used the word cyberspace. Awesome. By the way, uh, you have to look at the supermicro.com homepage. Oh. It, looks, <laughs> it looks like it was made on uh, Adobe Fireworks. It, it is. This is a very 2002 Oh, I would say page. like 1998. It's not even yeah. retina. It's all rendered in graphics, and it, none of the graphics are retina resolution, so it, everything looks blurry. Has an amazing drop shadow that is cropped, so you can see the hard edge on yeah. the on the shadows. <laughs> I will put a link to the Supermicro website in in the show notes. Boy, Supermicro, I don't know if they've recovered or not. But when I checked the, they they lost like their stock price took like a fifty oh, yeah. percent hit. All right, I got. I'll put a link to that Recode story in there too. All right, I guess we should wrap it up. Uh, We've gone on long enough. I don't really have much more to say about this big hack other than that. I, it's crazy. I don't either. I, we'll uh, see. I mean, I, I'm surprised there hasn't been anything corroborating it or, right. uh, or you know, 
adding in, and they supposedly were reporting this for a year. So I yeah. don't know. I, well, I don't, the I, the thing that to me, you can't prove a negative, but it it's very very suspicious to me that we don't still have corroboration because supposedly it was thousands of servers and they're out in the real world for anybody who knows their shit around a motherboard to say, yeah, here it is. Here's the, here's the spurious chair. Here's one of these motherboards and here's the, here's this rogue chip, you know? And the fact that we haven't gotten that yet is to me very suspicious. Again, it doesn't prove anything, but as time goes on and if it continues that nobody can show one of these compromised boards, it sure looks like a bogus story. Agree. Yeah. Dan, thank you for your time. Everybody can read thank you. your work, your team's fine work at Recode. Uh, .net. Uh, .net. .net is where all the best domains are, frankly. That is correct. And, of course, they can follow you on, on Twitter at FromDome, F-R-O-M-E-D-O-M-E. It's but always good I'm, to see you. If I might plug one thing. Of course, took, you can plug I, anything. I took the summer off because I was very busy at work, but I'm relaunching my travel slash credit card points newsletter slash blog at pointsparty.com please Point sign up if you if you party. want a friendly guide to the complex world of chase sapphire and mx platinum and american airlines and all the uh, alliances how to get the most out of your points make them go farther have very posh hotel free hotel stays like i do around the world or sit in the kind of airline seats that give you pajamas <laughs> Check it out, pointsparty.com. I, I am so glad that you've got you're, you're reinvigorated to do pointsparty.com because I'm I, back at it. It's it's the sort of thing that I really really care about, but I don't care enough about to do the research. And so what I want is you to just tell me what to do. That's the plan. Right? I'm going to do the research, and uh, yeah, I should have a new uh, newsletter out within uh, a week or so. So I can't wait. Well, everybody, I'll put that in the show notes as well, but at pointsparty.com, I highly recommend it. And Dan really does, he really does know this stuff. And so, it's what I fall asleep reading every night. 